This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. RJ Baylog. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order to release. This week, we're picking up a hitchhiker and discovering the American Nightmare as we watch Spine 175 in the Criterion Collection, Terry Gilliam's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas from 1998. But first... This hitchhiker fellow here uh, via Patreon, Justin Peterson. Hello. Hey there, guys. Hi. Great to be here. Long time coming. Awesome. Yes. Uh, you you emailed me or messaged me a couple months ago, lining up this particular episode, um, which is good, and it worked out great. I think we're going to be dealing with maybe a few yep, seconds right later. Right after uh, Redbeard. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Fuck. That feels, a, that feels like a lifetime ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So you guys, Frank and Oliver, get to be Beatles, and I get to be Tobey Maguire. Thanks. Yes, you get to be with bleached blonde <laughs> hair. <laughs> I, I, but, I but will you, say but you have a really nice, a nice uh, Ralph Steadman T-shirt. Yeah, he Works does. For me. Yeah. But I, I will say his hairline is a lot more flattering than uh, Tobey Maguire's in uh, this movie, <laughs> which is it's so striking. I don't know. I always see it. And I'm like, what is that like? Yes. Okay. Who, who is this? Yeah. But maybe we're jumping the gun a little bit here. We'll, we'll, a little we'll, bit. We'll, we'll, a little we'll, bit. We'll talk about uh, the original Peter Parker uh, later on. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, how are uh, how are you doing, RJ? Uh, I'm doing quite well, Jarrett. You know, it's a busy time for us. We had a Canada Day, which uh, a lot of people <laughs> and I don't know if Justin uh, knows this as well, but a lot of the uh, American states south of us question what is Canada Day. Why is that a day? Why do you have a day? And uh, I'll have you know that we, too, got our independence once. And uh, we chose to celebrate it just a couple days before you guys. So we get it done a few days early. And, uh, you know, not to be confused with your 4th of July stuff. But uh, I guess the point I'm trying to say, Jared, is we're all here feeling patriotic together. That's right. Canadians, Americans, whatever. Oh, North America. North America. Yeah, just North America. I don't know when Mexico's day is. Isn't that um, Cinco de Mayo? I see, I don't know. Is that is that their thing? Halloween? Halloween? <laughs> day of the Dead? No. <laughs> day of the Dead. Uh, if only we knew a way to look this up. No. Nope. But I don't know. Moving on. Moving yeah, on. I'm doing good, Jarrett. We uh, had a little barbecue, made some ribs, made my own sauce. It's too bad this wasn't last week. I could have asked Justin Peterson. I know he lives down in the south. If he had yep. a, a sauce recipe or something like that, we do uh, the mustard sauce here in South Carolina. That's our that's our thing. The North Carolina's the vin- yeah uh, mustard uh, barbecue sauce. And then uh, North Carolina is the vinegar base. So uh-huh. lots of different kinds here in the South. Okay, my the one I made was vinegar based. So uh, I, I guess I, I missed it. I fucked it up. Oh well. <laughs> no, it that's happens. Good. And, and yeah, Justin, would- oh. Sorry, no, go ahead. I, you I was just gonna say. <laughs> I was gonna say, Jarrett. I'm surprised. I thought uh, Justin was gonna have a real thick accent, but uh, maybe I don't know geography very well. <laughs> well, my uh, folks are from Minnesota originally, so I'm kind of a transplant here. Uh, um, so I didn't have the southern upbringing. <laughs> but you could probably put it on when you want, right? Um. Why do I want to default to a Fargo accent? Um, uh, <laughs> you fit right um, in. Yeah. Yeah. You're darn, darn tootin'. No. Yeah. It's again, it's Fargo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, I that never works. want to put on a Southern accent. Oh, well, we'll do it. We're not ashamed of uh, 
doing accents or saying mispronouncing things. That's right, Jarrett? Oy. <laughs> See, uh, people that was another one of the first uh, times I messaged you on YouTube. I was like, are you guys Canucks? What's up with that, that accent? And you're like, yep, sure enough, Canadian creeps. We got referred mm-hmm. to, I think uh, on YouTube, we just someone mentioned like, hey, it's like the Bob and Doug of podcasting just uh, like three days ago. And then uh, wow. the person proceeded to talk about how we didn't understand uh, martial Japanese martial arts. And that's no, why, come on. Yeah. So, uh, mm. yeah. Though the world, oh, the world. Uh, well, what, what episode was that, Jared? I'm going to go and uh, lambaste these people on the internet on my many fake accounts where I, uh, <laughs> well, I promote uh, the creeps. O- often uh, the, the episode that seems to attract the most ire for people is Hidden Fortress. Oh, because we don't say that it's Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> who cares? Like, I don't know. Am I am I wrong here, Jarrett? Who cares? Who cares? Justin, yeah. how are you? Good. Uh, well, people need their connection points in order to watch those uh, those old Kurosawa movies. They need uh, something relatable, so they got their Star ba- Star Wars to follow up, yeah. uh, fall back on. Yeah, uh, doing real well. Good. Uh, Fourth of July week, like you guys had mentioned. Uh, saw a couple movies in the theater. This just the last two days, and been doing a lot of preparing for the show. Um, so I'm excited. Well, probably did more uh, work than we did getting ready for this thing. <laughs> we say that all the time to people, and I, I don't know if people think that we're kidding, but uh, I don't know. I just I didn't even watch the movie this week. I never watch the movies. I just wing it. <laughs> yeah. See, people will think that's a joke too, but it's not. <laughs> No. Uh, yeah. See, I don't even know. I don't know. RJ might just be reading Wikipedia synopsises and then winging it, watching mm-hmm. it. Maybe, maybe watch a trailer. I don't know. Maybe I'm just that good, man. Just that damn good. He's just that good. Yeah. So, what else is going on? What, what are you doing for Fourth of July, Justin? You guys uh, have a little uh, hot dog roast, or uh, what's what's your your family or your area's local uh, custom? Yeah. yeah, we get, um, I have all my family here in town. So yeah, we'll have a, a cookout, not a barbecue. It's a cookout here in the South. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. so that's yeah, why I have some good food. They got a, yeah, they got a pool and, um, yeah, I got three kiddos. So yeah, we'll do it up and, uh, hopefully catch some fireworks. There you go. Thanks. So are you going to have ribs too, or, uh, you guys, uh, burgers and dogs kind of family? We had ribs on Sunday, which were pretty darn amazing. Um, I'm not sure what my parents are cooking up tomorrow. We're in charge of, like, I think we're going to do, like, a blueberry cobbler. So that'll be good. Ooh. Ooh. See, you, uh, Jared's ears perked right up when you well, said I, that. When I hear blueberry? Mm, blueberry? Ch- Chanel's fond of making blueberry buckle, which is, like, a, more of, like, a white cakey thing. Buckle? Yeah. I've never heard of this. Oh. Where did this come from? Somewhere. It's not a Canadian thing, is it? It's a food thing. <laughs> I've never, have you ever heard of this buckle thing, Justin? Uh, this sounds made up. To no, me. that's that's new for me. I, I'm thinking about going in my uh, fridge, and we have this huge like ba- um, basket of blueberries. I could start munching on throughout the show. There you go. But um, I won't torture uh, Jared with that. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you people couldn't see Jared's just seething hatred <laughs> and his just raw aggression during that entire uh, RB segment. Uh, I mean, it was worth it just uh, to see him. And uh, Justin can see now, too. I always say there's not a single person with as much raw hatred and just downright, like, mean-spiritedness than Jarrett. And you can see it. Now that now that you can see him, mm-hmm. you can see. 
just how awful he really the is. Funny, the, the funny thing is I totally missed that joke. Like, I was, like, going to sync up with Jared this week and, like, be like, oh, let's have our own little fast food that um, RJ doesn't have. And really the joke is the mm-hmm. fact that Jared doesn't like munching on the podcast to begin with. It's not the fact that he doesn't have the Arby's. It's more mm-hmm. my, I mean, I'm pretty indifferent to it, but I, I don't know. I, I don't want to <clears throat> put my listeners off with uh, the sound of chewing in their headphones. I think that's more of my thing. Cause I think some people do have real issues with that. I've never mm. really, I think it's funny when I hear it on other podcasts, but I could definitely imagine there's people who like sneeze and cough into things. And I know uh, <clears throat> some podcast types just like lose their mind over it or at least play to it anyway. But so I try to like eliminate those X factors, but enough yeah. about this. <laughs> hey guys, we got some emails to get to. Ooh. First All right. up, we have Colin Richards with an email entitled three musketeers. Ooh, da. Hey there creeps and Frank. Really enjoyed the latest episode, and some of the pre-episode discussion got me thinking, who is an actor-actress that is the best at playing side characters? One of my definite picks mm. would be Harry Dean Sten. He's always just stuck out to me. Sorry, RJ, I don't think that old Mel counts for this question. Making my ways mm-hmm. through all the old episodes, plus Ghoul Schools Now, keep it coming, guys. Well, it's always nice to hear from what I think is a new person. Uh, he's messaged before. Oh, has he? Yeah. See, I, I don't know these things, though, Jarrett. <sighs> just... You got to keep track. I I can't. I have. I literally have no way of keeping track of this. That's on you. Uh, well, why don't we uh, let Justin do the honors? Does he have any uh, secondary men that he would like to uh, put in the forefront here? Uh, Steve Buscemi's always been my favorite character actor, but he, mm-hmm. uh, in his later career, has been more the lead. Yeah, this is true. Especially it's with true. the Boardwalk Empire. Yep. Yeah, um, I throw out there John Polito, who is no longer with us, but he's like this—he's uh, like a Coen Brothers regular, and he just shows up in the most random little bits and pieces. Very round, tomato, angry Italian man, but uh, I love him very much. Uh, Harry Dean Stan would be like a, a go-to there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a very quick cameo in tonight's movie. He does, yeah, which true. I which I totally forgot about. Then I'm like, oh, there he is, or, or uh, Pendulette. <laughs> Who I also mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yes. who I also True. there's a lot of them. There is all these little bits. Uh, RJ, do you have any? Well, if you're going with Co- if we're going with Cohen Brothers sidekicks, I would have to go with uh, America's Sweetheart John Goodman. <laughs> but does he count? Because he's he, pretty A list. He, he's pretty A list, and I mean, there's movies where he's like definitely a, a major character in the movies that he's in. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> Does he count? I don't. Mm. Has he ever been the lead in anything? Like Back to the Future oh. doesn't count because he's not the lead in those. Yeah, I mean, but he's like a supporting character. I guess like he's pretty second fiddle yeah. and clue. Yeah, yeah. Side, side character is just like more like they are in it for like a scene or two. Like they're just like a guy that you see for a moment for a gag or for like one scene, and then they're gone. They're dead, or they just move on. So I, I don't know, Christopher Lloyd. I mean, he shows up in weird little bits and pieces. Like, it's actually, when I think mm-hmm. about it, he really doesn't play a lot of leads, does he? He's not a lead man. I couldn't, if you asked, I couldn't name a single lead movie right now. I dare you without looking <laughs> it up. No. I, I dare you. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Doc Brown's pretty prominent, but yeah, he's not, he's no Marty McFly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, let's go with that. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, next up. We have an email from Justin Peterson. <gasps> How it... can he be in two places at once, Jared? Well, we're going to find out. Carolina Creep from the Future. 
Hello, past versions of Jared, RJ, and Justin. This is Justin Peterson from the far future where I am in a state of depravity and trying to scrounge together a few pennies in order to host again for your episode on spine number 1001, Bill Duke's legendary film, Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit. Mm -hmm. The thing is, Mm -hmm. I had began emailing the show just a few months prior to appearing on your current episode on Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. At the time, I feared that I would sound like a big tool for emailing the show while also co-hosting, so I went against my OCD and did not email in, which spiraled me down into a deep depression where I became addicted to many dangerous drugs including ether, mescaline, and a whole galaxy of multicolored uppers, downers, screamers, and laughers. I also Mm -hmm. wanted to warn my past self to not make a few critical mistakes on the show that haunt me to this day. So why I did not travel back in time myself, well, that would have been way too complicated to describe in an email like the plot of Primer. So instead, I'm relying on Gmail's new previous delivery date feature that has done wonders to send emails back in time to help retcon many blunders like Warner Brothers releasing Justice League with that awful CGI on Superman's face mm. and also bringing back Emperor Palpatine for that awful last Star Wars movie. Oh boy. So here mm-hmm. are a few key mistakes Justin Peterson of the past should avoid making while co-hosting on the best Criterion podcast there ever was or the, the will, or ever will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, Correct. One, don't even think about munching on curly fries and slurping on a humacha shake after the break from Arby's. The, lo- mm. the look of disapproval on Jared's face that this will cause still haunts me to this day. Next, don't you dare shamelessly try and plug your own movie podcast, The Average Joe's Movie Club Cast, which can be found on YouTube and mm. SoundCloud. Don't even think about mentioning that you enjoyed Walkabout in the What You've Been Creeping On section because this uh, will piss RJ off so bad that it will cause his Skype connection to go down for a solid 60 seconds. And instead, True. you should make time to watch Ninja Scroll because RJ says it will blow your dick off. All right, yeah. following these key rules and Jarrett reading this lengthy email will go a long way towards helping past Justin have a great show with the Criterion Creeps. And it would not be a Justin Peterson email without a question or two. Number one, Mm. can you think of a movie that you enjoyed from your childhood that ended up becoming a criterion? Hmm. Childhood. What would you define as childhood, RJ? Uh, Anything 18 down. 18 down. So, okay. Uh, No, no, no. Rephrase. 14 down. 14 down. Yeah, that makes That's better. Yeah, 14 down. Ooh. I don't know. See, I, we really go, we don't do our research, Justin. We just uh, we go in cold on these emails. I don't like to. I like to be surprised mm-hmm. by them. See, like I think the one that pops to my mind might be like it might be like Blue Velvet, which I think I saw probably when I was like fourteen, uh, or like Blood Simple even, because I started like getting into Coen Brothers around that point after watching Fargo. Mm-hmm. Um, so those movies, which are not exactly childhoodish movies, would kind of fit into that. I think for me. Uh, RJ, okay. do you have uh, any? Definitely not the Princess Bride. I'll tell you that much right now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't know if that's uh, that's ever come up. Oh, actually, I do have one, Jarrett. What? I just went. So I went to the bottom of Criterion, like recent editions, because I was like, that's probably the best luck I'll have. Uh, Bull Durham. <laughs> <laughs> I, I bet no one saw that one coming. Uh, <laughs> that was. Uh, we watched that at my grandparents' house all the time. Uh, I like Bull Durham. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Justin, do you have a, a response to your future self? Of course I do. Um, so I remember being around the the old CRT television at grandparents' house, and mm-hmm. they had the uh, two VHS edition of It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. And they said, that movie's pretty banging. Let's check it out. Yeah. And it, they weren't right. They were right. Yeah. So I still need to rewatch that on Blu-ray. Maybe yeah. the super, super long cut. Well, it's like yeah. four hours with like missing scenes, but audio. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Uh, second yeah. question. 
Also, what classic animated films do you think should be added to the collection? Thanks, creeps, and good luck, Justin. Thanks, future Justin. Justin. <laughs> yeah, thanks, uh, future Justin. That's a. Uh, I, I like. Uh, I like the approach here. We got a lot of that messy stuff out of the way no. up front. Um, you don't have to hear me talk about Sister Act two back in the habit again. <laughs> even though that would, it's not animated, but that is a movie that should be submitted to the collection. Uh, I think so. Yeah, I've got a. I got a stick to or something to pick with, uh, Mister Future Justin. It's like, oh, well, really? I mean, you have the opportunity to like. You know, say, hey, here's a sports result for that bid. Here's like a winning lottery ticket. Maybe a future mm-hmm. crisis that you could warn us I about. See. Instead, yeah, you, take, to, you could take your opportunity to, to like write into a podcast mm-hmm. that no one listens to. <laughs> yeah, there's even one. There's one less person listening to it in this episode too because Justin's here. That's right. Are We're you losing are, listeners? Are, are, are you are you right? going are you going to listen to this episode, Justin? I don't think I will. <laughs> yeah. Good call. A good call. So to the question yeah. here, classic animated films I'd like to see in the collection. What I, I kind of went like, what, what is in the Watership Down is uh, oh, something yeah. that was recent. Uh, there's like Fantastic, Fantastic Planet. Fantastic Planet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's not a ton of animated stuff, is there? Mm-hmm. Like there is like, I mean, some people would argue like uh, some of Brackage's stuff kind of falls into that realm. That's more experimental film straight up. Some of, um, oh, the one French guy, 23 films by Jean something or other, kind of-ish, but not really. It's, they're almost like pseudo documentaries. But for actual like straight up animation, I mean, I think it'd be not a bad thing. I mean, I don't think it's going to happen like Disney. Like, you know, you, the first five, I think, would make a great collection, but that's never happening because Disney's not mm-hmm. letting up, giving up that control. Like, something like Fantasia, I think, would be, like, feels like the most criterion. But, like, I think Snow White would be good. Um, going beyond that, though, classic animated films that I would like to see in Criterion. Hmm. Evangelion? Yeah. <laughs> why not? Why the hell not? So, so actually, that, why not all the Miyazakis, right? Do those count as classics? Well, oh yeah. Absolutely. Or is that Absolutely. is that a different kind of... No, uh, that, that would fit. But again, like that's like the thing where like Studio Ghibli's got their deal with Disney. And so like it's mm-hmm. just... I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I, I guess I want to be realistic uh, with my... Actually, they cut that. It's uh, G Kids now. They re-released oh, everything you are under right. the G that's Kids right. label. And they're like half the price. <laughs> Which is well, yeah, which, Jared, yeah. you idiot! Didn't you know that? <laughs> I totally forgot. Which is I haven't bought because I want to actually rebuy them on Blu-ray because I think they'll look a lot better. Um, yeah, but yeah, Miyazaki would have been pretty good, but or even like yeah, maybe Akira <laughs> or uh, some of the books. Akira, a, a, a Ninja Scroll, <laughs> Ninja Scroll for sure. Uh, <laughs> hey, Jared, I'm gonna hit you with a non-anime answer. Okay, uh, the Halloween Tree, the movie that I talk about all the time okay that would definitely be a terrific maybe for this coming up october for the criterion releases why not why not <laughs> why not it's got leonard nimoy in it right that's what all the kids want bring nowadays some, bringing some of that ray bradbury mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but yeah all the miyazakis maybe halloween tree mm-hmm. what about you justin you got any uh, big animated movies that you're itching to get after yeah, I think I came up with a decent story for this. All right, so um, I would go with some Don Bluth films. Maybe do yeah. like a two-pack of uh, like Secret of Nim and American Tale and maybe have some featurettes on there about why he left the, the Disney company and went and did his own thing and made his own masterpieces. Okay. So I think that would be an interesting story to tell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of uh... – so you'd have – so it was Secret of Nim and what was the other one? American, American Tale. Tale. American Tale. Maybe oh. uh, Lamb. 
Land Before Time, but that's a little too kiddie, maybe. I yeah. think the other two are a little more heavy and fitting to the collection. Yeah, they What really... about the American classic We're Back with uh, featuring <laughs> America's sweetheart, John Goodman? That's a that's a pretty good movie, right? Right, guys? Am I right? Right? No? Okay, you guys keep talking oh, about uh, well, even like, um, Land Before Time. Yeah. yeah, Land Before Time I'm on board for. American Tale. Mm-hmm. No, I... Yeah, I, I just I don't know that movie bored me so bad as a kid. I don't think I could do it. It's probably oh, you that, like probably, I know right. I, I should you watch it every Fourth of July. I'll be oh, watching really? it again oh, tomorrow. Man. Yeah, I guess that that makes sense. Yeah, it has the whole uh, immigrant America vibe. So yeah, yeah, perfect for the Fourth. What about Five Will Goes West? Oh, that that that's trash. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I rewatched that again last year, and uh, it was really stupid. Oh wow! Good. Very disappointing. Good. All right. Next up. Frank Solano, <gasps> Uncle Jared and Uncle RJ want you, or how the podcast is becoming a mob of real creepers. Hello again, Ooh. creeps and friends. I guess it's back to the emails, but that's okay. I'll try to make my next visit a surprise, and hopefully Jared or RJ and I can devise another little prank to pull on Jared. I'm glad Jared to, loves pranks. I'm glad to see the cult is growing <laughs> now that we have a fellow friend of the show, Justin, on for a first round. Welcome aboard mm-hmm. the internationally renowned Phenom, the best and only Criterion podcast on Earth. Yeah, hopefully absolutely. we'll be hearing from Oliver, uh, Oliver again soon, and I'm excited to see who else will burn a hole in their wall to be a guest. Fingers crossed for Rupa to become the first female guest host. I'd like to address something that has been on my mind about Band of Outsiders, something I failed to articulate while I was on. I realized that what I was saying about the actors being bad isn't so much about performance. They're lacking charisma. They have no charm. Mm. Therefore, it's impossible to like them, as well as no motive. Why do they want the money? I don't remember there being an answer, but maybe it was just Godard's subverting convention, in quotes. (laughs) Listening back, I also realized that I have to practice how I present what I watched. I felt that the last two times, I didn't really summarize the movie well enough, and this time, I basically gave the Wikipedia page. I'll try to work on finding that perfect balance between the two for the next time I'm on. I don't know, Frank. Don't worry about it too much. We don't. (laughs) Yeah, Um, honestly, I don't know why anyone worries about anything coming on this show. Seriously. (laughs) Just wing it, man. That's That's all I do. Feel the vibes. Yeah, just... Now, going back to the previous episode, I thought about Sam Sanchez's question about strange hang-ups. I decided Mm. that mine is the infamous country accent in modern set movies. I avoid it if I can, though. I'll make a few exceptions for certain films. Example, The Thin Red Line, No Country for Old Men. But that usually means that I miss out on Billy Bob Thornton films. Uh, I I don't have an issue with country accents in modern settings. I mean, it's a a very... I mean, those people exist, right? It's a a real accent. It's out there. But yeah, it's yeah. it's real. I mean, like an old Victorian accent might be a little bit out of place in like Ready Player One, but I don't know. <laughs> Didn't well, Frank I mean, say he was put off by the Southern accent in general whenever he was on the cast? Yes. Oh, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and that's maybe that's where he's coming from. I think so. Well, I think it fits uh, Sam Sanchez's criteria that it is uh, an irrational hang up. I have many, Jarrett. Uh, I have uh, no many. kid, really. <laughs> oh. What do you mean, really? I've never brought this up. I don't like to bog people down with uh, all these opinions that I have. I realize that there's one universal <laughs> hang-up. skipping past Just that. skipping right past. Yeah, I, keep I realize, rolling. Frank's rights. I realize uh-huh. that there's one universal hang-up that I hear constantly, and I think all of us, including fans and friends of the show, might be familiar with, and it's the hang-up about a movie being old. The idea that a movie is 
old and therefore not worth watching or not good is probably the most common and stupid hang-up. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many people I encounter in my day-to-day life where that comes up, but I know it's out there. Uh, I, it, I do frequently. It, it comes up with comics, actually. Yeah. Like, oh, this comic looks uh, it, like I think I've seen one guy. He referred to like a comic from like the '90s as a dot comic, and I was like, oh, like a, masturbator. A, I don't know, like because of like mm. the the dot process coloring and it like looks old and not contemporary. It, it, it was baffling to me, but yeah, I mean, there's legitimately people that like probably do not watch. Like old movies, anything pre nineteen eighty, and uh, mm. I mean Netflix's uh, output shows that too. Like there's like less than fifty movies at any given time that are from like before nineteen sixty. So I mm-hmm. mean that's what pe- people watch new, and they want the newest thing that just came out pretty well all the time. Unless they're like, oh, I want to watch a, a classic from like twenty fourteen. <laughs> but I don't know. What I find that with like with silent films, like I kind of have to be in the right mood to dig into a silent film yep. just because it is such a different intake of uh, watching movies i'm usually pleasantly surprised because i always go out to watch the like the all-time bangers like in the, the collection but yep. um yeah i kind of have to get be in the right mood to be to watch a silent film well i often find too like it's like you have to kind of inoculate yourself like by watching a lot of films and then you get into the rhythms of it and then right. then you're just like used to it you're like oh, okay i've once you watch like you know 20 or 30 like between charlie chaplin's german expressionist russian stuff you just start getting used to it and you're like okay this is just how these movies were made but then there's some some people that just like they never get into it and that's fine not everything's for everybody <laughs> so mm-hmm. um yeah but yeah the whole idea of being old i'm like man i go through my list and i think this plays out on letterbox like there's like those lists of like the highest rated decades and it's like the 50s and 60s which mm-hmm. i mean i don't know if that just shows like some, like uh, biases of like the academic writing around those films being prevalent for a generation of people and that's the stuff for the uh, 80s and 90s just hasn't been written yet but i mean for the most part like yeah i mean that plays out in my reviews too where like i'm like yeah the 50s and 60s i definitely rate fairly uh high but those those are also like i'm not watching the the bad movies from the 50s and 60s i'm focusing on the stuff i've heard is good so there's always going to be like a, a bit of a biasy bias i guess or recency bias because you're going to be looking at the stuff like this is what i've heard is good rather than like here's some really like obscure movie with a bunch of actors that like i might have seen if i lived in 1956 and was just like let's go see a matinee and just saw whatever but yeah so are we still answering the uh the hang-ups question i think so yeah so you, yeah. you, you got yeah. it you, okay yeah i got one hang up kay. um love triangles um okay that's a, a story gimmick that always gets me like you'll see it in like heaven's gate there's a big one that's a big waste of time and then jules and jim there's one <laughs> uh, and i'm not into yeah. that one so uh, uh love triangles those are those are the worst for me not, not digging it gotcha that's real too though i mean jared and myself are involved in a pretty elaborate love triangle is it with the podcast i'll never say the the, the hearts of our listeners <laughs> the hearts and minds mm-hmm. uh, who knows last question yep. a friend of mine and i had a conversation <laughs> about favorite actors i realized that i don't actually mm. have any and instead i have favorite performances Ooh. i Ooh. guess i believe that no one actor is consistently good enough in differing roles this is true. Uh, considering mm-hmm. some play to strengths and other weaknesses, as well as the final performance, really relying on what the director chooses to use. So, I'd like to ask: Should actors be considered great by their range or by the depth of their individual performances? And should it affect preferences on who the better performer is? Whew. Uh, that's all, folks. Hope you guys have a good one, and that Justin has followed by example and picked up a snack like a real professional. <laughs> well, that is. 
professional premier podcasting. But yeah. uh, I, uh, I, I got to kibosh that stuff from now on because people don't see what Jared does to me outside of the podcast. And I feel like if I ever do anything bad again, he is going to physically, emotionally, and verbally take it out on me for weeks and weeks. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I might sneak some food in once in a while. But I was going to say, Jared, uh, it's interesting that Frank brings this up because I don't know if you saw, but uh, one of your favorite actors, George C. Scott, was in the news in the last week. Did you see why? No. Well, not the news, but I mean, he was he was in the Internet uh, because there was a story going around about how when he got a best actor um, award for Patton, he didn't show up. He was at home sleeping because his opinion and his quote, I'm going to loosely use his quote here. He's like, I don't think actors should be judged based on uh, one movie because they are a collection of all their works. And one movie might not actually be representative of how uh they perform so i think maybe we should just stick with george c scott because that's kind of what frank is getting at right similar or did i just misread that whole i've been i've been known to misread situations sometimes yeah i mean for me it this kind of falls into that category of like the celebrity worship thing and that's just how Mm -hmm. people like talk about actors in this weird way that i don't i mean i think i've mentioned before i'm kind of like on uh hitchcock's uh page where i'm like uh, actors are cattle <laughs> and like they're just like mm. i don't know what to do and sometimes you hear interviews from actors and it's like they're the dumbest people in the world some of these people like they just like they're mm-hmm. uh, they're either like just sick of these interviews and they just like give the same like canned answer like those like interviews they play before movies at least in yeah. theaters around here and it's just like infuriating and like they're like like they, they're they're being charming and they have to like <laughs> make make jokes and like be personable but it's like God, what a life. What a miserable, miserable life. So I always find that like the, uh, the, the, the role of actors, I mean, obviously a bad actor can completely destroy a movie. Um, Mm -hmm. and just be so distractingly bad, but I've never been as hung up on it as other people. Like I read like sometimes like a letterbox review and people like really single out a performance, like, and they say this completely destroyed a movie. And I was like, I watched it. I thought it was fine. Like I, there's Mm -hmm. like things that I think are way more terrible or just people I'm like this person just like sucks the life out of like more it's more their presence and like the way people talk about an actor rather than their performance that like just makes me go huh I just actively don't like this person anymore but I don't know yeah. all right I have a few thoughts here so yeah. I guess in terms of like an actor like so you know, I'm thinking of like Jesse Eisenberg where he gives the same performance for all these roles it's really strange to see him uh throwing that out as like Lex Luthor and also um you know the uh, the Facebook guy, and then also um, yeah. forget what the other performance was. I was thinking with him. Um, Just all of them, right? Pretty much, yeah. He's yeah. kind of actually like the same guy. Um, and then I was thinking, so my my favorite actors right now, I would have to say uh, Leo DiCaprio and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Those are pre- two pretty good studs. I wish we get the mm-hmm. o- Oscar one day. And I'm <laughs> into the Oscars. I know it's kind of a silly thing. We all are. System. We all mm-hmm. are. Like it's like even though we bitch about it, it's like no, we still watch it. We, every still, year. we still talk about it because it's yep. the, it's That's the true. It's, it's the show. I mean, it's uh, I mean, no one really cares at the end of the day about the Golden Globes or anything like that. It's always what's the best picture, mm-hmm. and it's like we all know it's like a fraud, but it's like oh, here we are <laughs> every time. But yeah, it's uh, it's complicated. Um, and then my last last thought there is um, what Daniel Day Lewis, where originally like my favorite performance were, from him was um, 
uh, there will be blood. But I recently saw Lincoln for the first time, and he just is like a whole nother level on Lincoln with yeah. like recreating that historical figure. Right. So with him, um, kind of, I've lost track with the question. There's just so many good actors to note and their performances. Yeah. Um, I mean, so yeah, like he's yeah. one of those. Yeah, I mean, Daniel Day Lewis is like one of those guys. Like, I think when, I, when we talked about uh, Phantom Thread, where I was like, when I was watching that in theater, you just like watch his presence on the screen, and he just like he makes it look so easy acting. Like he just like he's so effortless, but he's doing all these small little things that like you just take for granted uh, when you're comparing to like. I don't know, uh, Dwayne Johnson or something like that, where you're like, that guy just like gets completely by on his incredible amount of charisma that he has. Because mm-hmm. that's, that's about all of his act is. He doesn't do comedy great, but he's just like, oh, he's just like super charming, but he's actually not like a good actor by any means, but he just has to show up. And then, um, the one guy I just saw in a movie this week that I've always like wondered, like, is he actually a good actor? Or is he just like, he just fills shoes so well as Gene Hackman. I I mean I I love Gene Hackman, yeah. but like he often just like he's Gene Hackman so often. And uh, like I was watching a, a Bridge Too Far, and he's playing this Polish soldier, and he's trying to do this Polish accent, but he's mm. but he's but it's Gene Gene Hackman, and it's just like <laughs> that's all I ever think of. And, but I'm like, but I love Gene Hackman, but at the same time, like sometimes he's just like he's just Gene Hackman. He's he's that personality actor rather than a character actor. I don't know. It's... Hey, Jared, I'll hit you with a counterpoint, and I yeah. don't want to play our hand too soon, but uh, speaking of performances and actors, mm. when we get to a little movie called Where the Buffalo Roam and uh, Mr. Bill Murray, I think there's going to be some uh, some words on uh, certain performances and certain actors on any given day. So, you know, <laughs> again, not to play my hand, but... <laughs> hey, Jared, did you know yeah, that that's... George C. Scott is buried in an unmarked grave by Walter Matthau? That's pretty cool. He he was buried by Walter Matthau. He's he's <laughs> to the right, right beside Walter Matthau, but he's in an unmarked grave. There's a picture of it on Wikipedia. If hmm. you or Justin are interested, see this is another <laughs> element of weird celebrity culture where like we know where people are buried. <laughs> it's so well, weird. I, do. I know, but it's on Wikipedia. Like you just look it yes, up. It and is. Go, That's where his corpse is. It's just like, why do we care? Mm-hmm. Like, can, do these people not yeah. like have? Well, squid, in the, squid in the whale was the other one I was thinking about with Jesse. Young, very oh, right. young, very young Jesse Eisenberg. He okay. So I don't know. I've never like see, yeah. Jesse Eisenberg is one of those guys where like I'm. I kind of like I've accepted that like this is what Jesse Eisenberg does. He is like he's a character, he's a personality actor. Like you pretty well bring him in and you're going to get that character no matter what. And it's at odds with mm-hmm. like, I mean, it's going to work or it doesn't. And like, obviously like I'm fine with it, but I know I've read many, many people that like, they're like, they, he drives them nuts. Like they just like, you can't take him. Like, or uh, he's good in uh, end of the tour. Like I thought he was good in that, but I've read the same thing where like, I mean, but he's placing, he's again, like you're right. He's playing this, like the Jesse Eisenberg character. Every time, kind of every time, but I mean, that's how casting works too. Sometimes it's like bad casting directors or lazy casting directors who are like, you know, who would be perfect for this role? Eisenberg, and then people just cast him that way. <laughs> Generally, I like him. Uh, he was in that one, um, that you remember the movie where he was working at a like uh, an amusement park with Adventureland, the, um, Adventureland, yep, yeah. Yeah, his levels of smug in that kind of rubbed me the wrong way, but generally I like him. He was kind of playing uh, Michael Sarah in that movie, right? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. that hey, mop of hair. Jared, I'm going to take this opportunity to just, because uh, we don't usually get immediate feedback from fans, but Justin, 
if we had a Patreon goal where you could be buried in an unmarked grave in between me and Jarrett, do you think people would bite on that? Do you think that, or would it would Frank Solano just like snap on it and it would already be gone and it wouldn't be much of a, an offering? What if we piled people up in that unmarked grave beside <laughs> us? Would that work? Oh I, goodness, Amadeus style, right? Jeez. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the the mass I mean, I grave don't know. for some lie I've, on it. Yeah, I've never really asked Jarrett what he plans to do in the afterlife, like how he wants his remains to be handled, but I'm pretty confident that he will entrust them to me. I do have power of attorney on him. So, well, With the modern costs of uh, burials and coffins and all that stuff, I think the astronomical price of this Patreon goal is just its just unattainable at this point. Damn. So that could be true. I'll have to shoot that one down. Yeah, maybe maybe it can be something where we all get cremated together and then, you you know, they do that compression thing where they turn you into like a stone. It'll be the Aww. Criterion Creep Stone. It'll look like an amethyst. I'd donate to that. Beautiful. All right. Wonderful. Final Thanks. email. Jackson, with the title mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. Vertigo and Vocabulary. Hey, Creeps mm-hmm. and special guest. Hope yeah. you're all having a good week filled with all the lifestyle indulgences of the late, great Hunter S. Thompson. This week, I was curious about your thoughts regarding Neil Neil Gaiman's Sandman as talks to develop a Netflix adaptation have once again been rekindled. Furthermore, are there any other Vertigo titles which you hold in high regard? And finally, a question for RJ. I have heard you refer to quite a few films as shows and was curious, up in Canada, Mm -hmm. are movies called shows as well or is this a stylistic choice in your vocabulary? Keep up the exalted work, Jackson. Okay, so before we get into the nitty-gritty, I think Jarrett might have a better opinion on this. Is that a Canadian thing, calling them shows, or is that something I do? That's something you do. Okay, you know what it is? It's because my dad is old, and my dad calls them shows. And I just got that from him, I think. Like that show, Taurus Bulba. You ever seen that, Jarrett? I've seen that show. Taurus Bulba. Um, Okay, well, now that that's settled... uh, what were the other questions again? Uh, first up, uh, asking about this Neil Gaiman Sandman thing, uh, uh, which RJ... I have opinions on. That. Oh yeah, we 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 just been talking about that Neil Gaiman lately. Yeah. Um, Vertigo Comics. Uh, hopefully, Justin, we're not leaving you out of this conversation. Are you a comics man at all? Are you a reader of comics? Um, no, I'm totally lost on this. Okay, mm-hmm. so uh, you get we'll to watch, streamline you, it for yeah, you. you. You get to watch us talk about comics for a little bit. Okay, so first yeah. up, yes. Yeah, so Vertigo Comics, uh, for those who are un- uninitiated, was a branch of DC Comics, which does more like the Superman, mm-hmm. Batman. Uh, Vertigo is their kind of mature adult line. That's kind of was. Uh, was was because it just ended like officially a month ago even though it's probably been dead for about eight years it's kind of where uh neil gaiman's uh sandman series alan moore's uh swamp thing wound up grant morrison's preacher animal man and doom patrol uh you have titles like preacher which is the mc show things like that kind of came out of vertigo and for Mm -hmm. me as a as a young comic reader around 12 13 14 i got really into the kind of the vertigo side of stuff with a book like preacher. And then later on stuff like invisibles by Grant Morrison. Um, mm. And just like, yeah, you, there just did tons of miniseries. Uh, vertigo titles. I would recommend I, I at least remember, cause it's been a while since I've watched these hundred bullets uh, by yeah. Brian Azzarello and Eduardo Riso is really good. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Loveless, which uh, was a, uh, 
kind of cut short. It was a book that started off as a Western, but then kind of kept making all these big jumps forward by Brian Azzarello as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, yeah, Alan Moore Swamp Thing, Animal Man, Doom Patrol, I mentioned already. Uh, Pride of Baghdad by Brian K. Vaughn, which is like probably the most mm-hmm. unvertigo book there is because it looks more like an image book. Uh, nice little one shot. And uh, just in general, the the, the, Constantine, the John Constantine series Hellblazer that ran 300 issues. Mm-hmm. There's uh, like 20 volumes of that to read. Uh, it's like not all, like, all this stuff. It's like, it's very much a kind of a product of its time. Uh, sometimes people would describe them as brown comics. Um, Ugh, why? Because the coloring is very muted in mm. like earthy tones. Like a I like that. But uh, I, I didn't want to steal RJ's thunder on his favorite Vertigo comic. Oh, are you talking about Sweet Tooth, baby? I'm talking about Sweet Tooth. Yeah, Sweet Tooth, baby. Well, that so I've mentioned many times my main man, Jeff Lemire, and Sweet Tooth, which is a premier comic book. I think uh, if Justin ever was interested in getting into it, that's a good place to start, maybe. Or maybe not to start, but it's the best. Um, <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure R- that... RJ the... has a tattoo of Sweet Tooth on his body. I do. Should I show Justin as, as a perk of being on the podcast? Do you want to? Do you want to see? It's it's over here. Oh wait, there's a mic there. Your mic's covered. Ta- wait here. I'll, I'll show you my 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 skin. Look, Justin. I have a huge. See? It's all blurry. Oh, there's an antler man. Yeah, he saw it, yeah. baby. So that's a Patreon perk. If you come on the show, I'll take my shirt I'll off put it for on you. Instagram. Yeah, there you go. It's on my it's on my personal Instagram, but uh, I don't. Uh, I have a block on there, so if you don't have a username, I'll recognize. Uh, I won't accept it, man. No way. What was I talking about? Oh yeah, Sweet Tooth. Uh, that's one for sure. Um, I think the rights to that got bought up like a year or two ago, but I don't know if I don't know if that should be a show. You know what I mean? Yeah, like a movie or a TV show or anything like that. It's got a lot of animal people in it. It definitely has a lot of animal people within it. I think it would be hard to. I think Jeff Lemire in general, like the stuff of his that I like. Part of the reason I like it so much is the way he, like the way his art is. So I feel like it'd be hard to replicate that in like a live action or even just an animated show. But yeah, I uh, I, I dabbled in that Vertigo. Uh, there's those like Transmetropolitans. And speaking of uh, long gestating movies, like Why the Last Man, that was a, a movie and then it was a TV show and then that was a movie and then it was a TV show. Like, no, it's nothing. that's never going to come out. No. But I, I think people thought the same with Sandman. And even though Sandman is like greenlit now, I still, I doubt that that'll ever come out. Um, my, my beloved Swamp Thing, which I also have a tattoo of. Should I show Justin that one, Jared? Yeah, I think that one's just on your leg, yeah. isn't it? That, yeah, should I show him <laughs> that one? See, yeah, there, there's that one there. Wow, that's a nice big blob you have there that you can't see at yeah. all. <laughs> so e- even that, like, that's a show now, but, like, it's completely unattainable up here in Canada. And even in the States, it's like they, they canceled it before it premiered. So who's to say Sandman wouldn't just get, like, I don't know. I'm... A little trepidatious. I remember, like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was going to make a Sandman movie. Like, what was that, five years ago or something? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was a big announcement. It was, like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt to write, star, and direct in uh, an adaptation of Sandman. And then it just never happened. Um, but, I don't know. We've Jarrett and I have talked about Neil Gaiman off-air a few times. Uh, I'm a fan of Neil Gaiman. I like his books quite a bit. And I like his comic books. But... I feel that fans of Neil Gaiman come off a little hot sometimes. Uh, and especially like with all this good omens press that's going on lately with that show, there's, I think a lot of false, uh, 
controversy and then a lot of people taking things a little too too seriously on both sides but i don't know if it if it ever happens i'd be interested in it but that said uh, i thought american gods that tv show was complete trash so i don't know if uh, neil gaiman is uh should be adapted to the screen but we'll see right jared that's right Justin, are, are uh, you? Uh, do you know who Neil Gaiman is, <laughs> or have you heard of him? Have you read like American Gods or anything? No, I have no idea what you're talking about. Cool. <laughs> all right, yes, it's, it's all like good. Coraline. This is not. This, this is Stardust. a. Film, this this is indeed a film podcast. So uh, the comic chatter can end. Mm-hmm. Well, he's got <laughs> movies, Jarrett. Coraline, Stardust. Uh, what's the other one? You know the other one. Yeah. That, got that, that mirror mask was made by a Sandman collaborator. Like mirror David, mask? David McKean. Yeah. Okay. Coraline, Stardust, Beowulf. Uh, Good Omens is loggable on Letterboxd, so I guess Ooh. that's a movie. Yeah. Uh, Ocean at the End of the Lane. He's got stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Coraline's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. That's him, baby. Leica. <laughs> oh, their, their last movie was trash. Which one was that? It was uh, the one with oh, the, um, it had like a, a, a Yeti in it. Like there's oh, been this the big string, the missing link one that was real yep. disappointing. It's that, like that they kind of dumped it down. Oh, yeah, that was that was like a because that was like a... Hollywood's had this weird, this really weird kick on Yetis in movies. Like it started with Bigfoot or uh, or Littlefoot, and then it went to the missing link, and then that was now there's another Yeti movie coming out. So there's this whole string of animated Yeti movies. It's the big thing now for kids. Yeah, starring Zach Galifianakis as Mr. Susan Link. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Hmm, no, it's from Leica. Mm, yeah. That's too bad. Yeah, it was Missing Link. Was that um the Wallace and Gromit guy involved with that one? Who's the Wallace and Gromit guy, Jarrett? I don't know. I can't remember his name off the hand. The, the guy who uh, created Wallace and Gromit, was that his next project was the Missing Link? It looked like him. Doesn't Well, the guy who wrote and directed Missing Link is a guy named Chris Butler, who no. also wrote or directed Paranorman. Okay. So... There you go. Never mind. All right. Okay. All right, man. All right, then. That's our it for emails. Next question, RJ. What you been creeping on this week? Who, me? Do we still do that? Shit. Uh, what have I watched? Uh, I just watched one movie, Jarrett. I didn't have a ton of time. I wanted to watch some more stuff, but the few things I did watch were uh, creep-oriented. Like this, which is very loosely creep-oriented. But you ever heard of Rango, Jarrett? I have heard of Rango. I see By a director of The Lone Ranger, Gore Verbinski. What do you think of Gore Verbinski? I don't think anything of him. It's the Caribbean. Yeah. for Wellness. Mouse Hunt. Yeah, what about Mouse Hunt? That's a good show, right? Yeah. So I watched this movie Rango, Jarrett, because it's got Johnny Depp in it. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got Ned Betty, you know that guy, uh, and it has an alleged cameo by Hunter S. Thompson, and I can confirm now that there is a cameo in there, uh, in The Great Red Shark, him and Dr. Gonzo are driving through the desert, and uh, they come across Rango, uh, and then there are some subtle nods, I guess, Rango's outfits, he's wearing Hawaiian t-shirts, kind of like Hunter does, uh, there's a lot of bats in this thing, they're in bat country, after all, uh, so they, it is pretty loosely, uh, Hunter S. Thompson-ish, but, uh, that's probably where the 
connections end. Uh, this is an animated film, Jared, about a chameleon. Uh, he is a household comedian, but he's yearning for adventure. Uh, and then one day his cage gets knocked out uh, while of the car on the highway. And he wanders into the Wild West, a little uh, animal town with a mayor, uh, old turtle, Ned Betty. Uh, there's bad guy, Bill Nye. Yeah, that's right. The British uh, Bill Nye uh, plays Rattlesnake Jake, the antagonist. Uh, he's got a pretty cool uh, little gun tail, little gun rattler, Jared. Okay. Uh, a mini gun. It's pretty a little sweet. mini gun, yeah. Yeah, we got rattlesnakes up here in uh, Creepsville. They're bad bastards. They'll get you, man. Uh, you have um, you have an armadillo played by Alfred Molina. And I don't know if you know this, Jared, but uh, your buddy, uh, what's his name? Clint Eastwood has a unofficial cameo in this. It's not actually him, but a current day actor pretending to be him. What, was it Scott Eastwood? No, it was Timothy Oliphant. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, he's he playing Clint Eastwood, uh, the man with no name. Okay. As, uh, but also, Ray, Win- uh, Ray Winstone is in this. There's a lot of British guys playing, like, cowboys, like, bad boy cowboys in this thing. So you have this, like, town with the, all these animals, and uh, the hot commodity, Jared, is water. None of them have water. So uh, Rango comes in, and he kind of bullshits his way into becoming... Uh, the town sheriff, uh, like unintentionally, it's one of those things where he like just keeps stumbling into the the right thing at the right time, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked Rango, man. It was fun. I know Jared doesn't like when I say things are fun, but uh, <laughs> it was fun, man. I watched it with Andy uh, intentionally because I was like, I think she'll like this. It's got like chameleons and armadillos and uh, little owls and all sorts of critters and crawlers. Um, she liked it. She, uh, she got into it at a few moments. Uh, but it's kind of, I would say, Jared, if you weren't so heartless, you would actually probably get something out of this too, because at the heart of it, it is a Western. And, uh, I know you sure like Westerns, Jared, Mm -hmm. right? You're, you're a little fan of them Westerns. So, uh, it does have Western feels. You got Western more modern day Western evil schemes at play here. Like the water is the commodity that they're all vying for, but the, the ambitions of the evil schemes are a little bit more modern. Uh, you have like fish out of water, Jared, you know, about fish out of water. I've heard about him. Yeah. You got, you got some stuff like that. Uh, no, it's good. I liked, um, I like the animation style and, uh, like the story, um, like it, it hits on like familiar beats, but it's nothing that I don't think anything that's like too overtly like uh, like you you're just like I know what's gonna like what they're gonna do, and even even the, the stuff that you do know how it's gonna play out, it's kind of comforting in the sense where it's it's like maybe a TV plot or a movie plot that like you kind of know where it's going, but you're like I like it though because you it's safe you can kind of get into it. So uh, I like Rango. That was my one and only creep. Now I know Jared hasn't seen it, but uh, what about you, Justin? You got any? Uh, you, do you have you seen Rango? Do you like Rango? I just rewatched it actually about a week ago. My kid was like, "Hey, let's watch Rango again." Um, and yeah, I think you kind of underplayed the animation in this bad boy because um, mm. so Nickelodeon did it, and this was the first um, ILA um, animated flick. Mm. And their photorealism in this thing is like next level. Like mm-hmm. yeah. Pixar kind of hit that with um. The, the that dinosaur movie they did. Um, We're back. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, um, Justin. Yeah. 
Was it like um, the last dinosaur or the good dinosaur? The good one? dinosaur. That was yeah. it. Um, so, yeah, Pixar really hit the um, the photorealistic animation there. But um, actually, uh, ILA and Nickelodeon did it a couple years earlier with Ringo. So, uh, yeah, it's a really entertaining flick. Um, yeah. It really moves, a, it moves along at a good clip. A lot of good action in there. Um, I gave it a full uh, five stars on my uh, letterbox review. And mm-hmm. the one complaint I noted was the fact that this whole water thing doesn't make any sense and some people commented they're like justin because they are commenting on chinatown i'm like oh i forgot about chinatown (laughs) so um yeah yeah, i mean there's a lot of layers to this thing right like they're playing off of um a lot of cinema and like a lot of hollywood like very literally and uh Mm -hmm. like because all the all the like little nods to other movies to fucking fear to fear and loathing in las vegas to hunter s thompson even to uh like clint eastwood and all the man with no name stuff like it's pretty tongue-in-cheek the uh the little cameo that he has but uh Mm -hmm. it's one of those movies where i don't i i hate when people comment on movies of being homogenous to other movies but uh in this one i actually think it works because i think movies like this are the right things to do Mm -hmm. that in where it's like this is exactly Mm -hmm. the kind of uh, the place where I, I like seeing it is like in family animated movies. It's like, yeah, that's nice. Cause it's like a little, cause it's like a wink at like maybe the parents, right. Or someone older watching those movies with like uh, their nephew or their, their, um, their son who's just watching a movie for the first time who might not know what all those subtle nods are. Illusions. But uh, yeah. Illusions. <laughs> well, I mean, that's just like, yeah. Uh, and you got to think that it's, it's directed towards kids and maybe yeah. if the kids like a Western and a cartoon, you know, yeah. maybe they'll watch a uh, man with no name with dad, you know, a few years down the road and kind of see the connections. Yeah, yeah definitely. Well, there's like movies. I like, where, like when I watched like Simpsons growing up, which like was targeted for like a general audience, but like there's these film references that I didn't get. And then you watch those movies mm-hmm. later and go, Oh, and it's like, yeah, the guys mm-hmm. who were working on the Simpsons, they were smart guys. And it's like, yeah, why not put those like, things that you know work in your movie because it's fun yeah yep so i have another rango story jared um i had the opportunity to see rango in theaters once mm-hmm. with uh a, not a friend of the show um but an uh, enemy of the show an enemy of the show no actually uh he just doesn't listen to podcasts he is still a friend of mine his name is aj aguirre uh just name dropping him he's in a local band called fawns if anyone wants to look that up uh he wanted to go see rango and i was like yeah okay let's go see rango and then when we got to the mall there was this group of uh like our other friend group was there too three or four of these guys and uh they're like what are you guys gonna go see and we're like we're going to rango man are you coming and they're like no 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 we're going to go see this new movie, this hot new fantasy sci-fi action movie, Jarrett, directed by Zack Snyder. That's right. Sucker Punch. They're like, you guys got to come to Sucker Punch. It's going to be so good. And the whole time, AJ was like, I don't want to go see Sucker Punch, man. He's like, let's go to Rango. Rango looks so much better. And I was like, yeah, but I I, I succumbed to the peer pressure. I was like, they're all going. Maybe we should go see Sucker Punch. Uh, So we did. And uh, that movie is pretty horrendous. And the whole time, AJ was just kind of like looking at me. He's like, "Fuck, this like, is on you." We could have been in Rango. He's like, "We could have been watching Rango, a, an actual good movie right now." But here we are, watching Zack Snyder's Sucker Punch. So uh, I'm happy to say that many years later, uh, I fulfilled the uh, the prophecy. I went to Rango, and uh, I can now say in 
confidence that uh, Rango is better than Sucker Punch. In case anyone was <laughs> anyone was wondering, I didn't know it was up for debate. <laughs> it was until now. So uh, uh, that's it for me, Jared. A little little Rango. I just want to follow up very quickly. Uh, Nick Park was the Nick I was trying to remember, and his movie Early Man, not Missing Link. It's just about a caveman movie that came out also last year. Good caveman I mean, soccer movie. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. There you go. <laughs> that's it. So that's mm-hmm. it for you, RJ. Yeah, that's it. Okay, Justin. What have you been creeping on this week? Am I up? All right. Um, so I started off the week with a lot of uh, Hunter S. Thompson stuff. So you guys recommended uh, Where the Buffalo Roam. So I think we'll be talking about that later. Yep. Also watched two documentaries involving Mr. Thompson. So we'll probably hit that on the back half of we the will. show. So the first movie I'd like to talk about is a little RJ-approved movie. Little Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit. It, Watch it that. Fin- it finally happened, Jared. For years, Jared's been trying to stifle this Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit. habit. But I am happy that someone else has watched it. Hit me, man. Man, it's pure joy. Um, <laughs> all right. So when I was a kid, I remember watching just the end of this flick uh, so many times. Like you'd like tune on to HBO and it would just be that choir competition up at the end. Mm-hmm. And so that's a lot of fun. Um, there, there's that fun word again. Um, it's okay. I don't mind saying fun, but, uh, Jared's my, just not, my, my ears are burning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So, um, you know, during that, that last performance sequence, you, as a young nineties lad, I like mm-hmm. and the, the white guy and the black guy come out doing their little rap in the overalls very yeah. nineties there kind of gets the groove going. Um, yeah, I'm kind of a sucker for musicals in general, so it kind of ha- it kind of throws those good vibes at you the whole time. I guess you can, as a cinephile now, I can see how that's manipulative, but yeah. at the still yeah. at the same time, it's still pretty fun. Um, so I came to kind of an epiphany with this thing. I was like, you know, this is the Bad News Bears formula, the '90s ah, kids yeah. a- um, action um, sports movie formula, just as a high school choir. And so I kind of picked up on that vibe. And it was really nice to see uh, Whoopi in her prime there. I mean, she's pretty much flawless. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the young Lauren Hill in it, uh, but it was kind of cool to see a young uh, Gen- Jennifer Love Hewitt, who I had a teen crush on. Ooh, she was, uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm steamrolling. Right. You see, that's what Jared's always talking about. <laughs> Um, also, um, making, uh, speaking of cameos, like we mentioned earlier, uh, big mustache himself, uh, Michael Jeter is one of the monks in this thing who he has a pretty, uh, fun, uh, appearance in uh, fear and loathing coming up. Mm-hmm. So I got that connection going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest issue with this movie is it really has trouble balancing its cast. Like it kind of like mm-hmm. sets up all these kids but then all of a sudden you see other kids midway through the movie and then you never see them again. And I think the only one, Lauren Hill's pretty much the only character that it kind of follows the, all the way through when she has the little thing with her mom. Um, but I think that's the only issue. Um, oh, it was also wanted to note. Um, so there's this uh, black kid in it who's like all into like his African roots. And then you have the white guy who wants to be black. And he's like, hey, man, you shut up. So it's kind of awkward in a 90s movie to see this white guy tell a guy that's getting into his African roots to, uh, to be quiet. So a uh, little uncomfortable there, uh, especially in the day and age. But, um, yeah, it's a fun, mo- uh, very enjoyable, uh, uplifting movie. Even through the credits, you get to see the characters dancing as the mm-hmm. as the credits go along. So uh, All-time banger? Is that what you're saying? Uh, it's it's very enjoyable. I haven't <laughs> yeah. rated it yet on Letterboxd. Um, so- I at least four stars, I would think. It's it's an excellent film, I think. 
So you, heard it, you heard it here first, Creep approved, and uh, now Creep certified from Creep fans. Uh, it is an all-star banger, um, all-time banger, even for that matter. Uh, as Jared would say sometimes, an all-day vape. Um, <laughs> it is a premiere movie to go with probably the premiere Criterion podcast. I'm happy to just enjoy other people's enjoyment of this. Uh, I encourage everyone to watch Sister Act 2 Back in the Habit and send your appreciation into the show. Send it to me. Send it to Justin Peterson for uh, his rejuvenated enjoyment of Sister Act 2 Back in the Habit. Um, I think one big thing here, too, that we need to talk about is Bill Duke. I mean, who knew that guy could direct such an amazing movie? We all know him for his hit acting roles in Predator, Mandy, Payback, with Mel Gibson, The Fallen Son. That's right. Uh, but who knew he could direct movies like this? I didn't. I couldn't tell you a darn thing about Sister Act 1, but um, I do remember uh, Sister Act 2, and it's it's a fun show. Sister Act 1's also good. Also. I think that's the one I, that, that one I saw for whatever reason, like a whole bunch. But I, mm-hmm. I don't know if I ever saw Sister Act 2. I have no idea. Probably. This podcast is over. <laughs> All right, so uh, my second up, I think um, Jarrett's also seen this. Uh, so I heard uh, PTA had a little flick going on on Netflix, and I was like, I need to check that out. Is it, uh, was it Anima? Sure, that sounds right to me. Anima? Anim, an, an, anim, <laughs> anima. Anima. Okay, I was, uh, yeah. was going to say, so I, I, I haven't heard of this Or A N I M A, perhaps. I don't know. But yeah, Anima sounds right to me. Okay. So I, I work at a uh, I work in an office with cubicles, and I did come in and I was like, so typically they all watch like the latest Netflix thing, and so I came in saying, hey, who's seen Enema? And they're like, uh, Justin, oh, <laughs> you've been, uh, mm-hmm. what's going on with you over there? What, so no, no, Anima. This is on Netflix, huh? <laughs> Classic. Yeah. So um, yeah, and I was pleased to see it was only about fifteen minutes long. So PTA Netflix, fifteen minutes. Let's go. And so it's not what I expected. Mm-hmm. It took me two times to really kind of really appreciate it and enjoy it. It's more or less like a music video modern dance routine, yep. essentially. Um, there's some pretty cool moments in it. Like it kind of starts off and like these people are all sitting in like this train and they're doing all this wacky stuff with like their head, making it seem like they're um, they're sleepier or whatever. Maybe if there was a Starbucks at the station, maybe they could have all been a little bit more alert in their mm-hmm. commute to work. Um, there's a pretty hip scene whenever there's like, like this slope thing and they're all kind of like down on their knees doing this like climb up the slope thing. And then there's like this lunch pail. So um, I was pretty lost at first with this whole thing. Um, it's like I said, it's kind of this modern dance thing. I don't know a whole lot about Tom York. Like I like... The only thing I really know about Radiohead is how awesome their music is in PTA movies, like uh, There Will Be Blood and Phantom Thread. Um, but in rewatching it, I kind of saw some of the themes it was going for, like this whole thing at the beginning with like everybody seeming all sleepy, like your main character, like he's alert and like they're all going through this turnstile, but he can't get through. And I kind of got the sense that this was like, you know, people, their day to day grind kind of walk sleepily through life. And um, him, he was woke and uh, couldn't get through, so he had to mm. burst his way through. And then there's kind of a romantic part at the end where he gets up with this girl, and there's some da- dance in the park going on. And, um, yeah, interested to hear. Uh, Jared didn't really elaborate on his thoughts <laughs> on, the, on the Better Box, so I'm curious to see what he thought so, of this uh, this PTA modern dance routine. So, uh, yeah, I 
saw some people logging this on Letterboxd. I had no idea what this was. And then um, I saw these people's reviews saying P.T. Anderson. I'm like, what? And I'm like, why haven't I heard about this? And it's like, Tom York, what? What is this thing? <laughs> so, and I was like, wow, it's 15 minutes long on Netflix, a service I already pay for. Sign me up. 15 minutes, mm-hmm. magic to my ears. So I watched this and... Uh, I, as I, I as I started it, I hit play and I saw Anima and I just started going, Panama, Panama, Panama. and that's like so I went in thinking that which is like that is not Tom York, but uh, this is what came to my mind and so yeah this is pretty well exactly what uh, Justin described a it's, mm. a, it's a music video, uh, and it's not like a. I don't know. I guess, like, I have certain expectations, I guess, of, like, what a P.T. Anderson music video could be, should be. Um, there's the one that he did with uh, Fiona Apple, uh, her cover of uh, All Across the Universe uh, for Pleasantville, which, like, I think is a really great music video. Um, it also plays off of the uh, look of Pleasantville and the setting of the black and white cafe and stuff like that being destroyed. And mm. it's just her, like, locked in place, looking dead into the camera the whole time as this, like, stuff plays around in the background. But uh, this is, like, kind of, the, it's got these tinges of, like, the 1984 chic of, like, people all wearing overalls and shuffling through their life. They're, they're, and then then there's the awakening uh, where they break apart from the pact. It's all very, like, kind of juvenile sort of, like, broad stroke stuff. Uh the the music like so yeah the other one I was gonna say for like Tom York specifically uh, he did do the score for Suspiria the remake uh, and that's like right. that's more in line with the the vocal stuff that he's doing here like it's more of a solo act um, and then yeah Johnny Greenwood also of Radiohead that's the that's the money stuff with uh, mm-hmm. There Will Be Blood and um, Phantom Thread. But, uh, yeah, so this, like, I don't know. I was kind of indifferent to it. Like, I see some people really liked it quite a bit, but maybe they're more into, like, the, the music video kind of uh, superficiality. That, like, you know, you know, it's on a movie, and I was kind of going in maybe expecting, like, something. But, like, there's, some, there's these callbacks, mm-hmm. like, Punch Your Club. At least a short film. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's, like, there's mm-hmm. some really amazing short films that exist. This is just, like... It feels like a music video rather than a short. Uh, there's like the color mm-hmm. feel from Punch Drunk Love. There's like uh, the the Barry style leap he does over the um, the turnstile, which turnstile, is like, it, yeah, right. and he does that exact thing. Uh, and you're like, okay. And then there's these other elements that are very un uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, where like there's like the use of light, but it's super oversaturated. Like on like the thing that Justin was describing, where there's like a a wall that people are climbing up, and it was interesting because I was trying to figure out how they shot that. Like, was there an actual incline, or is this just being shot on the surface, and then you have the people like performing like they're climbing up, and then in which case they're doing a really good job. And then there's like Tom kind of like stumbling down toward it, toward the lunch pail and stuff like that. And it's like this whole movement. And maybe if I was more knowledgeable about uh, performative art, like pr- performative music, mm. I'd be like, oh, this is amazing. Like maybe there's like some uh, personnel that are like, who are like, oh, you, they worked with so-and-so, like that's one of the best people in the industry. And I'd be like far more into it. <laughs> but at the same time, I was just like, sure. <laughs> like that's like, it was just kind of there I, I found. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I don't know. It underwhelmed. I wouldn't ever watch it again. It's, um, but I've seen some people think it's better than Hard Eight, which is absurd, but, uh, <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah, it's like, not a movie. Yeah. Um, and me and my wife used to watch, there's a show in the States called a So Think, So You Think You Can Dance, which sure. basically is a whole show of these kind of, um, like three minute routines. And so I'm actually thinking about showing it to her and seeing what she thinks of it. And as it only being like 14 minutes, you could easily pop it on and be like, have a conversation with somebody's like, Hey, what did you get out of that? Mm-hmm. So in terms of like talking like movie analysis with people it's kind of a it could be a go-to for me in the future sure 
Actually, I was just thinking too. I'm like, oh yeah, you have Tom York doing uh, this is a music video for him, and then you have uh, also like the Suspiria thing, which also has performative dance in it. So that's like kind of a mm. kind of a coincidence, I guess. Did you guys ever touch on that the finale of uh, Suspiria where it gets all bloody and it has the weird Tom York song? And yeah, I don't recall you guys ever really hammering oh. in what happened there at the end. Well, the bloodbath part. Um. I remember, like, all I remember maybe talking about was it felt like it was trying to be, like, like it felt like if it was a Brian Yuzna movie, it would be incredible. Mm. But because of the way that, um, oh, what's the guy who directed that? Uh, what's what's called Call Me By Your Name guy? What's his name? <laughs> Anybody remember? <laughs> oh. Uh, Nobody that's, cares about um, that. <laughs> oh, that's Luca Guadagnino. There we go. Yeah. So when uh, the we, he feels like he's so like at arm's length from the material that he decided to, like the blood and stuff like that CGI, which just oh, it's brutal to me. It always mm-hmm. hurts me because I'm like, why didn't they just go all out? I mean, obviously there's practical reasons to not do practical mm-hmm. effects because you only get one shot at doing things, and with CGI blood, you can like have your actors do things over and over again without destroying their wardrobe. This things that yeah. I didn't think about till I watched. Uh, like 60 trauma movies and realizing, Oh, you know why you don't want to do practicals because you have to have a budget to do stuff like that. And it's a way of saving money to do CGI just on that mm-hmm. term, which is unfortunate because nothing beats practical a lot of the times, especially when it's really bad, cheap looking CGI. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, like th- th- it was weird. Cause like I watched that after watching hereditary, which also kind of went for this big grand guignol, like finale of like grotesquery and violence <laughs> And uh, it should have hit bigger than it has. And I've seen it hit, happen in other movies, uh, for instance, Bride of Reanimator uh, <laughs> or a society where you're like, wow, I'll never forget this. Whereas I found that uh, Suspiria's ending tried to go for that, but it didn't get there. It just it didn't uh, mm-hmm. feel it didn't hit with me the way that it should have. But I don't know. It's, and personally, I thought it was a little comical. I mean, they're like sure. like lopping off people's heads. It just kind of got silly towards the end, where you had mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. sequence in the middle that was so intense and grotesque. It was like yeah. whoa, like the body then it kind of yeah. falls off. Well, I always think of like that the body in the uh, dance studio being kind of like mm-hmm. snapped to place. That was really good. Like that was like wow, that was that was a really nice moment. But uh, yeah, the end of it just felt like what is this? Like, what, it's like, there's like all this, like what's going on, but at the same time, like, well, it's, I guess it's just like, Oh, the, the two witches are fighting about dominance. And then mm-hmm. it turns out that she's the embodiment of the witches and that she's the actual end boss. And then she just mm-hmm. kills them all. It's like, okay, that's it. Like that's the big moment. And then, yeah, it mm-hmm. was uh, underwhelming. Yeah. I yeah. wasn't a fan uh, of that I, for many reasons. <laughs> For many reasons. I don't uh, want to derail us too bad on Suspiria. Go yeah. ahead, RJ. Sorry. Yeah. No, I was going to say like the same thing with what you said. You're like, it's kind of comical. And it's like, yeah, it is. Where it's like, I feel like too many movies now and Suspiria fits into it and Hereditary fits into it. And a lot of these horror movies fit like modern day ones fit into it where it's like people give them praise because they really go for it in the ending and i think people are miss like they're misevaluating the movie as a whole because the ending is like where say if the movie is a a big thing where it's like is it or isn't it like that's like the mystery but then the end is like all, all your expectations are in that it's like, oh, well, it won't be. They'll go for the the obvious answer. But then it's like, whoops, we, we got a sneaky on you, man. It is like this huge, crazy thing. And then people mm. like miss, miss, t- they, they, the, they misidentify the new, uh, that with sub- it being like. Suburbing, uh, yeah. Subverting your expectations. Trope, yeah, you know? exactly. Where it's like, 
this whole movie is good because they really go go crazy in the ending and it's like that doesn't mean the whole the movie itself is good i also the reason i didn't like suspiria specifically is i hate that false sped up fast forwarding stuff which they do a lot where it's like it's like slowed down but it's like slow-mo but everything's moving really fast i can't stand the way that that looks like in movies i hate that i forgot about that so but anyways, that's that's my spiel on that, where it's like, I think movies that go for it in the ending are getting too much, uh, too many passes right now because they're they're not great. They're just getting pushed along because people are like, yeah, it's really crazy in the last two minutes. But it's like, a- oh, good. <laughs> Something to look forward to. Nice. All right. Here's a, a movie I didn't expect to watch this week. Uh, I saw that uh, that Tim Burton Dumbo remake. Um, so. Take a while. Could you guys take a okay? Dumbo spoilers. Um, could you guys take a wild guess at how you think Dumbo remake uh, ends? Does does the ending really go for it? <laughs> does Dumbo kill everyone? Yeah, in the most worst way imaginable, with uh, mm. Dumbo and uh, Mrs. Jumbo getting released back into the jungle, almost having a uh, jungle cross jungle uh, jungle book crossover going on. How does the original oh. animated movie end? Because I. I just with him soaring through the tent. Okay. Completely perfect. Hopeful. Yeah. Joyful. Yeah. Feeling good. Um, and and to, not to mistake what I said, there's not an actual Jungle Book like reunion, but it mm. kind of looks that way with the, like oh, yeah. them sure. over and seeing all the the um, animals at the watering hole or whatever. Mm-hmm. What are you saying, RJ? No, I was just saying uh, I follow. I that totally makes sense that. Uh, Disney would try this thing. It's like, it's a connected universe. It's like, we don't want that anymore. Stop it. <laughs> Nobody cares. All right. So a uh, couple quick hits on Dumbo. Um, so the Dumbo story, just like what, when they do just what's in the cartoon was, was pretty solid, pretty enjoyable. Um, you may have heard that the, the CGI on Dumbo is like fantastic. Like his mm-hmm. baby blue eyes, like make him like instantly like, super cute and um enduring i was going to say um, very quick the uh when i saw I, I saw that in your review you mentioned that and i was like huh because like all i'm basing my interpretation on is like the banner image for dumbo on letterbox that thing creeps me out it's like it's like so uncute and i'm like how hard is it to mess up a baby elephant so but you're saying though it's like i'm just basing that on a still image not in motion mm-hmm. so i will take your it's word that it looks poster. a lot better um it looks better in motion than it does in the mm-hmm. still images that i look at on letterboxd <laughs> Okay. Yep. Um, so one of my favorite parts from the original Dumbo is the elephants on parade sequence, which is an all-time banger. Mm-hmm. And they actually do fit that into this new version. So um, check that out to see how elephants on parade gets incorporated into a live-action um, mm-hmm. remake. Um, so being a wrestling fan growing up, I was a big fan of the old uh, Michael Buffer, uh, Let's Get Ready to Rumble. Okay. And so it's kind of cute that he's in there and he says, Let's Get Ready to Dumbo. Mm. Yeah, I see what they're doing. <laughs> pretty, pretty cheesy, but I appreciated it nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the bad stuff about this film that really derailed it in the third act. The 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 bad guys on this are absolutely terrible. Um, this is like an all time worst performance for me for Michael Keaton. He is so over the top and contrived mm-hmm. with everything that he's doing. Um, there's a part like where his little wonder parks kind of shutting down at the end and he's like, Oh, I'll fix it. And he's like slamming all these levers against his technicians thing. And he ends up burning down his own park. So, um, really dumb from the, um, the bad guys. And like towards the beginning, there is this, um, like Mrs. Jumbo's like 
keeper who is like over the board mean like animal cruelty kind of guy like just to kind of like force that point Mm -hmm. and so let me point out that that's the only part where there's like real like animal cruelty is up at the beginning whenever they're mrs treating uh mistreating uh mrs jumbo there all right so where was i at um okay so the other thing that really bugged me about this film is at the end um, like when everything's said and done and uh, Mrs. Jumbo and Dumbo get to go to the jungle because because that's what we needed, apparently. Um, they. Uh, they mentioned the fact that, oh, and now we are a circus with no uh, caged animals anymore. And, you know, we're all happy because we have no caged animals and la da da. That's the end. And I'm thinking to myself, like, so like the anti circus crowd, first of all, are they watching this movie to begin with to actually see them getting this little payoff at the end um i mean personally i i always liked the circus i mean i mean there there could have been some shady stuff going on with the animals in the circus but um you know i enjoyed seeing my uh kids enjoy that when they were young and and that's not a thing anymore which is kind of sad um and so yeah so disney took the uh the anti-circus um way towards the end of this film um so yeah, that's my little rant on Dembo. Um, I know RJ has the feels for the animals, so down with the circus here. <laughs> down with the circus. Those are, those are my only opinions. Fuck right. As as the rib juice runs down your mouth. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I I have a hypocritical stance on this, but I I think there's a German circus that has uh, animals that are completely holographic. That's pretty cool, like Tupac. That Coachella hologram, uh, they're doing it with the animals now. So, I mean, why not? Right, Jared? Cool. Why not? Sure. Yeah, I'm I'm still going to continue uh, staying away from the Disney live-action remakes. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just going to stick to that because it's like, oh, I could take that hour and a half, two hours to watch one of these, or I could just watch the original animated movie instead. And that's kind of like where mm-hmm. the priority is. I'm like, yeah, I don't really need to see that. Like, cause it's like, oh, I've got the original still. It's good. It still keeps, it looks good. Uh, I just would rather watch yeah. that. It's just like a time thing mostly. And, uh, the fact that mm-hmm. I don't think these movies are for me that, that too. <laughs> and I might've sounded down on it, but it, it's mostly just the end that kind of, it, it went out the gate on me. Um, sure. the rest of the film, I, 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 I enjoyed it. Um, so I saw a couple more movies. I'll try to, to be quick. Um, so with us watching a Gilliam flick, I saw the man who killed uh, Don Quixote. Finally, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Gilliam's 29 year uh, passion project. And mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. Okay. Um, I saw a lot of people on the old letterbox slamming it, saying it was messy, messy, but Gilliam is a messy director he is. and it really works for like this imaginary world of um, Don Quixote where you got the reality and the fantasy and they mix them mm. together. And um, yeah, I'll be quick with this one. I really enjoy it. I definitely recommend people checking it out. Uh, the old uh, Adam Driver is in the lead role there playing against Mr. Price as the whole um, uh, Quixote and um, okay. his little sidekick. Sanchez. And yeah. Sanchez, that's yeah. right. And have you guys seen that Lost, uh, Lost, Lost in La Mancha, Mancha doctor? I have, documentary i have yes uh way back when it so came I out wasn't, mm-hmm. rj have you so i wasn't sh- no i don't know what any of you guys are talking about oh, just it, continue i'll very quickly say yeah, it's a making of documentary about terry gilliam trying to make his first attempt his first stab at doing lost la mancha or like man of la mancha finally and just like mm-hmm. it's an amazing documentary about how films cannot get or sometimes can't get made and this is it's like oh yeah. they're there for it 
and then he finally did make it. <laughs> it's like mm. through perseverance, Coyote and <laughs> Quixotic. Yeah, so I hadn't, I wasn't really sure like how much the story had changed, but like, like towards the end, there's a scene where they actually show shot in Lost La, uh, La Mancha, where there's like they they take these big fat guys and then he's like, okay, in post production we're gonna make them look like giants, and that actually shows up in the movie. So it was kind of cool to see. Uh, that that vision that you saw, saw the pre-production part on that documentary actually make it in the movie, and yeah, it was a good show. I enjoyed it. Cool. Nice. Have you have you seen much of uh, his other recent stuff? Like I uh, haven't. Like Brothers um, Grimm, uh, Tideland. I haven't either. I've seen Tideland. Yeah. Well, well, maybe I haven't seen Tideland. I haven't seen the Parnassus one. Yeah. One. I mm-hmm. saw Brothers Grimm on a plane, and I remember not liking it. But mm-hmm. that's not really a fair assessment. I saw that like a decade ago, at sure. least. Yeah. So. And there's uh, whatever, Zero Theorem with, uh, mm. yeah. What's his name? No. Tarantino's man. Mm-hmm. That guy. Okay. Everyone knows him. <laughs> Christoph Waltz. All right, so. There you go. This should be an interesting um, pick. So I, um, off of, uh, I got a Jarrett pick in here. You oh, did. Which is, I saw this, uh, oh, and no. I tried to talk RJ into watching oh, it, and man. I don't think he made time. I don't think he wanted to make time, but I saw <laughs> the old uh, Bat Boy Bubby. Oh, mm-hmm. bad boy. Uh, I, wow. uh, R- R- RJ made some mention of this, and I was like, RJ, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, w- I, 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 was basi- I was basically like, I don't have a lot of time this week, Jarrett. Should I make time to watch this movie, Bad Boy Bubby? And Jarrett was like, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> He's like, that is not an RJ pick. And I was like, okay. Well, what I'll do take you, your word what, for it. What do you think, Justin? Is Bad Boy Bubby an RJ pick? No, it's the opposite. <laughs> so, um, mm-hmm. so Bad Boy Bubby makes Gummo look like a Disney Disney movie <sighs> with its treatment of the little putty cats. Yeah. So, okay, let me break it down for you guys. So, Bad Boy Bubby. So, thematically, this thing is all about like nature versus nurture. So, you have this guy Bubby who he looks like he's thirty years old. He's been locked up in this uh, room with his mom all this time, and so he's pretty debilitated in terms of the fact that all he can really do is repeat what other people say. And so that starts getting them in trouble. Cause, um, so essentially what you will see in bad boy, Bubby, you will see uh, death by cling wrap. You will see pooty cat abuse. You will see mm. man walking around town playing with random pe- women's tits in order to say hello. And that's not appreciated. Um, yeah, a whole lot of uh, cringy stuff, uh, a little bit of the old incest going on because uh, Bubby's mom needs some attention, and apparently only she can only get Bubby to do that. Um, Classic. Yeah, so this is a big cringe fest. Um, <laughs> but what really amazes me about movies like this is they do actually have a pretty strong message at the end where you see like him being this completely awful character, but by the end it's actually redeemable and um, kind of how things uh, progress. Um all right, so I said incest. Oh, <laughs> <how about>? <laughs> <laughs> so there's a scene there. where uh, good old Bubby uh, he escapes. Uh, so he finally escapes out of this room. Uh, spoilers, and um, so he's walking around with a uh, a saran wrap dead putty cat in his uh, briefcase or whatever. And so he's walking around town with that, you know, just kind of flopping that that dead Great. cat around. So that's lovely. Um. So then, um. Bubby falls in uh, falls in with some uh, this band, so that's kind of a fun part 
where like him saying these random things that he repeats and he kind of just shouts it in the microphone and everything. But he's like, hey, Bobby's a pretty cool guy shouting things in the microphone. And I think my biggest laugh out mob movie uh, moment of the movie was uh, Jared. Do you recall whenever they had the uh, stuffed animal pussycat on the chair and he's saying bad putty and he's whipping it during the little <laughs> performance number? Uh, that was uh, kind of he was a stuffed animal that time, RJ. Yeah, not the uh, not the yeah. dead putty cat. It, it sounds it sounds so great. I'm just going to interrupt Jared for a second. It sounds so much like an RJ picked uh, that I think someone's digging through my trash. So I'm going to keep I'm going to go check it out. But you continue to talk about <laughs> Bad Boy Bubby because I think I, I got the gist. I'll be back in one second. Just keep rolling. That's the, that's a shoot. Continue. <laughs> It's, it's, almost oh my per- it's, it's almost perfect timing that uh, it's a real bad boy Bubby world that we live in now. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, you, I feel you, bad now. That's all good. Uh, well, what did you um, – so wh- how did you – did you like bad boy Bubby? I, I didn't look back and see what you actually uh, rated this. I, I did see that you watched it, but uh, how, how did I you like it? I haven't, I haven't rated it yet. I uh, kind of – wrote down some thoughts on it um overall i did enjoy it as cringy as it is as off-putting as it is like it does have this good message to where like you can be completely messed up and a uh, nurtured aspect and like originally my uh, letterbox um like lead was going to be something to the extent of like um like nurture uh actually oh i got it written right here uh, nurture never stood a chance when you t- uh, when you're nurtured like this for bubby um yeah, so uh, it's definitely an interesting flick. Um, definitely uh, worthy of my cringe list. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I really like the scene where they're like, he's talking to this random guy about like God, and like it starts zooming out, and he's like talking about the philosophy of God, and then it starts taking this like um, God's eye point of view. So I thought that was pretty clever. And then that's followed followed up by this really kind of cringy scene where the woman he's falling in love with, um, like her parents are like totally like bashing her, saying she's like this flat fat slut and God doesn't like fat sluts. And then Bubby fires back saying something to the extent of like, you know, then God sucks if <laughs> he has this opinion. Right. So, um, yeah, pretty edgy movie. Um, yeah. And it kind of has a happy ending, which is really surprising with all the, the crazy bad content, yeah. uh, throughout. So, um, yeah, I think it's worth checking out. I think it has pretty good, um, Letterbox um, ratings. Yeah, so this is a movie. Uh, like I first watched this uh, several years ago, and I think I gave it a, a a big old five stars. I think because for me, it's one of those movies that man, there's like nothing like it. There, it, it isn't trying to be like other movies. It is so memorable and weird. The production stuff, like the uh, his room, is like so like. I love it. Like the darkness, like, but everything about it is like so well designed, like the painting of the room, like even though it's just like haphazard, disgusting, like shut in like wild child room stuff, but it's like, Oh man, like this really feels right, but it's very cinematic. So it's like, it doesn't like, it doesn't probably feel like a hoarder house would. It feels like very designed, but it has like that eraser head kind of vibe to it. And then, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, like it just has these scenes where it's like, cause like, yeah. Oh, you have these slow reveals like, Oh, he lives with this woman. And you're like, Oh, it's his mom. Oh, this is mm. what's and There's a gas mask. And there was a man that used to live there. And then there's the mm. cat and the things that happened with the cat, which like when I mm-hmm. watched it, I didn't have a cat at the time. And, uh, my friends both did. And they were like, what the fuck is going on with the cat in the saran wrap? And I was just like, Oh, that's weird. I don't even want to know how I would feel about watching it now, but, uh, 
yeah, then it just kind of goes from there. And then you get this whole exploration of this, like, this this man kind of in the world. He's an innocent, naive man. And, like, just, like, learning about the things. And, like, I was being like, it looks good. Uh, it's just like, yeah, there's nothing like it, which is always, like, an exciting thing to me that, like, when I think about a movie, my mind is just like, yeah, I can't think of, like, reference points for it. It's just, like, such a standalone kind of, like, pure statement made by uh, Rolf Dahir. He was just like, I'm going to make this movie, and it's going to be exactly like this. There's a movie that's very similar to it in tone, but very different. Like, it doesn't have, like, the cringiness, uh, but it's called Sunny Boy with uh, mm-hmm. uh, David Carradine. And it's, Brad like... Brad Dourif. And Brad Dourif. Uh, that movie is, yeah. like, it feels like the uh, a companion piece, I think, to Bad Boy mm-hmm. Bubby. But, yeah, under no circumstance should RJ probably ever watch that movie because yeah, I already... Yeah. I already I don't want to have that conversation of him on the podcast well. <laughs> complaining about it for five minutes because <laughs> it's like, I already know he's yeah, going to hate glad it. You were, I'm glad you were warned against it. You're probably... <laughs> well, no, because I did... Uh, I, I would love to have... Um, it was like I said... I was like, you know what? I'm actually kind of busy. I don't know if I'll have time for it, but I'll try to fit it in. And then I I just casually, because Jared and I, despite what I like to proclaim on the show, we do talk out of the podcast in a friendly manner. And I was just like, hey, what's up with Bad Boy Bubby? And Jared was just like, why would you watch Bad Boy Bubby? He's like, this is like the farthest away from a movie you want to watch. And I was like, all right. If even Jarrett now, because sometimes, like he's mentioned before, sometimes I'll ask for a movie like last week for Holy Mountain. And he was just like, I don't know why you would want to watch this, but all right, here you go. So when he does tell me, he's like, you shouldn't watch this. I was like, all right, maybe there's something to it. But uh, I'll I'll, last (laughs) And the last point I'll make about Bubby. So there's this really awkward scene where like he's able to talk to mentally handicapped people Mm -hmm. and there's actual mentally handicapped people there drooling on set, which I find, um, you know, it's very realistic, but uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of you guys were going over my letterbox uh, profile. You'd seen that the idiots is by far the my most hated film of all time is the idiots. And it's because it's all about like acting stupid and mocking mentally handicapped people on purpose. And I, I didn't care for it. And I don't think that movie should ever be should have been made. But that's Lars von Trier for you. Yep. So oh, I think we should hack. move on to Happier Pastures. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. I keep talking. I keep talking. Okay. So uh, last night I saw the good old uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. You guys want to hear about a little bit about that? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Hit it. All right. So um, you're probably going to see it, RJ. So I shouldn't like spoil it. Uh, no, go ahead. I, I, I will see it for sure. Um, I, I, I should I, probably I like throw stereo, out... But spoilers because i guess this movie's like yeah. literally a day old and usually we talk about movies at least a week after we've seen them so hey folks yeah spoilers yeah. <laughs> okay i'll just get at it real quick so if you liked all the teen um high school uh comedy stuff from spider-man homecoming the first hour this will be fine for you but if you thought that was annoying as hell the first hour this is a total slog um, where it gets good is with the Mysterio stuff. And like you guys, I think you noted on another um, podcast is like, if you've never heard of Spider-Man, I guess it would be a surprise that Mysterio surprise, surprise is the bad guy. Right. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not really fooling anybody on right. that one. There. I saw some people on uh, Twitter complaining about some reviews being like, oh man, people are just like outright spoiling that. And it's like, 
what like the Mysterio like the only spoiler would be that Mysterio is not a bad guy <laughs> like that would be the twist but it's like yeah. no it's like that's the whole concept like that's the charm mm-hmm. of it like I don't know it's it's really cool though because I've talked to uh, some dads at the comic store who have like we're talking about how their kids have no idea like they don't know who Mysterio is and they think oh he's a new hero that's kind of cool and I'm like mm-hmm. that's novel that's really that's cute mm-hmm. that's charming mm-hmm. let's just keep up the illusion like let's just keep that up but and they're not listeners so we can talk all about it all day long so. yeah <laughs> Um, one of the things that bugs me about this is I feel that it falls into a Superman 2 syndrome mm. where you have a sequel where the superhero does no longer wants to be a superhero. Already? So like Spider-Man Already? 2, <laughs> uh, Spider-Man 2 did, was uh, guilty yeah. of that. I just, you know, you, in the 90s, you saw it time and time again. You always had the sequel where the, the, the superhero didn't want to do what he's supposed to be doing, which I always found was ner- uh, um, annoying. I know a lot of people find that as a, an enduring character trait of wanting to be um, relatable, yeah. but I don't want to relate to a superhero. I just want to see them play around and kick ass. Yeah. Is that just me? Well, no, I mean, superhero movies, is a it's a vehicle for action, right? And I think they, exactly. th- that whole angle of um, the character was like, I, I can finally hang up the cape and I can call it quits and live a regular life. And you're like... But you've only watched these characters for like three hours. Like if it was a TV show and they decided to do this like near the end of season two, it's earned. But like in a three hours of content, you're like, wait, they've barely done anything. And like an hour of that was an origin story. It's like, you've done nothing. Mm-hmm. You've done absolutely nothing to earn this like story beat. Yeah, it's that's very yeah. lazy. And you see in the trailer uh, what Sam Jackson's like, bitch, you've been to space. What are you talking about wanting to ghost me and avoid your responsibilities? Uh-huh. And so, yeah, they play it up to where Mysterio's like supposed to be this good guy. And um, and Peter's just like, hey, you know, you seem like you're a good guy. You have it. And so he gives him like the ability to access all like Stark's like um, tech and stuff. Right. And so that's the big twist where it's a lot like um, Iron Man 3 whenever you find out the Mandarin is um yeah. not who he says he is so he had the, that big twist and there's also a callback to um did you ever see uh, spider-man homecoming where the villains oh, you did you remember how uh the vulture was kind of bitter about like the fallout of mm-hmm. um the whole battle of new york so in this case um mysterio was a former stark employee mm-hmm. and he's like um he was tired of tony uh tony like kind of putting down his ideas and stuff. So he's formed this whole like team of like people that have put all this former Stark uh, tech together to make this mm-hmm. Mysterio illusion. Okay. And I think I'll go with, that's as far as I'll go with that there. Okay. But the second half of this movie was really enjoyable. Like I was a big fan of the 90s Spider-Man cartoon and yeah. some of like the illusions that Mysterio throws Spider-Man in towards the end of this movie reminded me of that cartoon getting thrown into that with that kind of that level of action, which is probably some of the best Spider-Man action I've seen in one of these movies sure. dating back probably to when he was battling, um, battling Doc Ock. Yep. Um, so yeah, I um, I really enjoyed the the second half. Um, Mysterio looks great. Jake Gyllenhaal, he's great. He has kind of that um, uh, what's the what's that movie where he's the the cameraman? Nightcrawler. Um, Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler. He kind of has that Nightcrawler vibe with his whole obsession, and um, and um, so spoiler. You sure you want me? I can spoil this for you, RJ. Do it, it man. Do I it. know Mysterio. I know all about it, baby. Okay, so uh, J.K. Simmons makes a little uh, comeback at the end of this as uh, J. Jonah Jameson. Oh, yeah. So is this like Spider-Verse or like what is this? Yeah, or there, so he he's... Just... Yeah, okay, sorry, keep going. And at the very... Oh, so 
another complaint about it was the fact that Aunt May knows who Spider-Man is, and that's no big deal. Mm. And mm. they like go and do fundraisers together. Huh. And it's a little weird because like so you have CGI Spider-Man mask, and so it's just kind of appearing and disappearing on him for like the plot's convenience based on who's like walking in and out of the room. Okay. Um, the whole like romance with MJ. It's pretty good. Zendaya, I mean, she's kind of like this tomboy figure. You kind of hope at some point she kind of does stuff that's a little bit more girly to like for there to be this boy-girl kind of relationship thing going on. But she's she's pretty good. Um, yeah, and I guess that's all I have to say about it. There's another big spoiler, but what, I'll, I'll what's let you the case? What is what is what's on. the post-credit thing? Just tell me. I want to know because everyone's tiptoeing. I don't give a shit. Is it Sinister Six? No, it's nothing. It's um. It's basically the whole time, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Nick Fury was one of the uh, scrolls from uh, Captain Marvel. Uh, like Nick Fury was uh, on the spaceship having a vacation the whole time. And it was really the scrolls that were doing the shield work. That's huh. all the post credit scene is. Okay. Unless, unless you're talking about the fact that, is that the one you're thinking of? Uh, I have no idea. I know there's, I know there's a, there's a mid credit or mid end credit scene and a, End of that could be J.K. Sequence. Simmons, though. I feel like that would have been a, a hot, a hot thing, right? Is that what yeah, the mid credits? That's, that's what the mid credits. Yeah. I guess I'll go go ahead. And, uh, big spoilers here. So at the very end, during the mid credit scene, um, they show J.K. Simmons, and then they show this this videotape of Mysterio pop up, and he outs the fact that Peter Pan is uh, uh, Peter Pan. Peter Parker is Spider Man. So the mid credit scene is the fact that his uh, secret identity has been uh, outed. Gotcha. So it'll be. My interest is peaked going to the next one um, with him not needing a secret identity. It's kind of strange. That's well, that, they did. They, like, uh, they did that in the comic Civil War. Yeah, in the in yeah. the actual Civil War comic, that like very like that doesn't even resemble the movie very much. Uh, but that's like the whole thing is that Peter Parker is like that's where him and Tony Stark become really good friends, and like because he registers with the government, he, he, he takes off his mask and reveals himself as Peter Parker. And that was like a big. <laughs> thing at that time so it's interesting that they pick up on that like one story idea from like 2006 like now mm-hmm. and they're just using it now which is interesting because yeah it's a slightly different context but yeah they kind of did that at once and then eventually they realized oh there's not really legs to this and then they found a convoluted way to reverse it using <laughs> mephisto the <laughs> devil because that's, that's comics okay. yeah but yeah all the mysterio stuff is great but um the teen high school stuff i'm kind of over i'm hoping it's just spider-man uh battling bad guys moving forward but i kind of doubt it yeah well i'm of a few minds on the spider-man stuff because i I talked about it on the pod when i saw it i think at least but jared and i are both spider-man kids it was pretty hard to grow up in 80s 90s and not be a spider-man kid so uh, we're right there with you with the animated series and comics and all that and uh, i always loved mysterio i know a lot of people are saying that now because it's like popular but i always did me in front of the show ryan nagel we always thought Mysterio and Shocker were like two of the coolest, baddest villains ever because they were just the Shocker, the Shocker. <laughs> they were the coolest. He, he, he so got sure. the shaft in that last movie, like yeah. just being like a random guy, just a random guy. I was so bummed out by that. But like Shocker and Mysterio were always the coolest. And uh, I like so Homecoming. I liked all the Spider-Man stuff, but I really didn't like and it sounds like this is the same with this new one. Uh, I didn't like all the Avengers connection and all the Tony Stark stuff because in Homecoming, it made it seem like Peter Parker wanted to be Spider-Man more to 
please Tony Stark than it was ever like any Uncle Ben stuff. And it's like, I know people are like, well, we don't need Uncle Ben again. There's been like nine movies on that. It's like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. But I feel like it's, that it's changes his whole, char- his whole mm, character. Interesting. And it's the same with the Endgame stuff where Spider-Man's just killing indiscriminately. And I was like, this isn't exactly how I pictured this going, but okay, whatever. Um, and this time around, it's it's Happy Hogan, who's his like enduring figure, who he connects with on a on like, hey, let's regroup and what? become serious. <laughs> and Happy, Happy Hogan like wants to date his aunt, so that's kind of awkward. So yeah, I heard this sexualization of Aunt May is uh, at the heart of this thing, and it's just like you know, there that's that's one character I never really needed to have hip and sexy was uh, was Aunt <laughs> what May. Little she's in it. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's like the new the new DC Comics TV show. Uh, Pennyworth, like where they sexed up Alfred. It's like, <laughs> who wants this? Like, sexed up versions of Alfred, the butler, and Aunt May. And I don't know, maybe we're wrong. Jared clearly does. Mm, but, baby. Uh, I, I want sexy Al. Yeah. Sexy Alfred. Nice. Uh, so, just two more. Sorry, I'm taking so long. Um, okay. So, I did see uh, Ninja Scroll. Nice. Oh, yeah. Well, you're dead off. So I haven't seen a lot of uh, anim- good, good <laughs> no, response. It's, it's still I, think, here. I think his penis uh, is intact. Oh, that's okay. It's it's not for everyone, but whatever. I like it. No, I did some reading afterwards, and I saw that this was actually what one of the top, like one of the big three animes to introduce the genre to like the rest yeah. of the world between Akira, Ninja Scroll, and uh, Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. So I hadn't seen a lot of anime. So um. I kind of saw references to it before, so I was kind of familiar with, like, you had these big bad guys who have these long tongues, and they're, like, slithering over girls mm-hmm. and stuff, and so you get a lot of that of stuff. <laughs> and then um, you have, like, the action where, like, they slice off a limb and you spray blood, so I guess that might have been where uh, Quentin Tarantino got some of his inspiration for how he does action scenes. Probably yeah. other things, too, but maybe that as well. Yeah, there's some anime um, influence there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and there was, there was that animated part yep. in uh, Kill Bill. Mm -hmm. um it was kind of hard to follow at times like it's moving so fast like Mm -hmm. sometimes you have to back it up to see what led to what 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 to what what um so yeah at the very like in sometimes i'm getting like this is like an action movie i should be following this better i was like going on wikipedia kind of reading the plot saying okay that happened that happened um i mean it was a good action flick um i guess definitely uh, inspirational for its time and um yeah i'm glad i saw it and glad you recommended it yeah. Well, I, I will say that the infamy of Ninja Scroll uh, lives on way more than I think my action, even my own enjoyment of of it is just because of what we've built it into. <laughs> I would recommend like, I mean, all the Miyazaki stuff, but like uh, Jarrett's big Evangelion, like that's different. That's not just a movie, but like Perfect Blue. Is that a franchise? Vampire Hunter D. Evangelion? Yeah, it's, it was a tw- it's like uh, 26 episode series with yeah. a movie. Yeah, and they just uh, put them on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, but there, there's some debate of uh, whether or not mm. one should watch it that way. Legitimacy. There's like a new English dub and the subtitles lose a lot of the meaning of the uh, 90s translation. So, mm-hmm. But it's, yeah, Evangelion is one of those series that I have yet mm-hmm. to recommend it to anybody that hasn't come back and loved it. Like it is... Yeah. Uh, it's it's one of those like just crossovers. It, basically, it's it's a giant robot cartoon, but it is so much more than that. Uh, and the design of it, like Voltron. Yeah. Yeah, like it's like it basically yeah. takes these these uh like the mecha genre like Gundam and Voltron, but it does I it. Do. In, but it has this like it's got these elements to it like where uh, the guy did it uh, Hideo Anon. 
Anno? Anno. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he also did the Shin Godzilla movie that uh, came out a few years ago. Yeah. He, he's just like, I don't know, there's so many elements of like the sound design, uh, the the cinematography, like the cinematography, the, the, the core, uh, composition, the, the mm-hmm. designs of the Eva robots, uh, the characters. It's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I would say that if you're looking to watch some more anime, uh, definitely check out Neon Genesis. Like, it's yeah. fantastic. Even if it's like the Netflix version, I'm sure it's okay. I'm sure it's, it's acceptable, yeah. but... It's, I think it's more the themes, right? Because, like, for me, watching uh, Neon Genesis 2, there was, like, I think, like, five, six episodes in. I was like, this is really good. And then it's, like, the eighth or ninth episode where, like, it kind of takes a swing in not even, like, the themes, but, like, where the story's actually going. And you're like, oh, shit. You're like, this you're like this has, like, a, a lot deeper meaning than uh, you had anticipated. And then all those things were building up to this point. And, uh, like, that that was where it got me was, like, halfway through. I was like, oh, shit. I was like, this is a, the real deal here. So Yeah, the first yeah, half I'm, starts yeah. off kind of, like, almost, like, kind of, like, what you expect from, like, a, mm-hmm. a popular Japanese anime series. And then it takes a turn. And then you're mm-hmm. like, whoa. And then it just gets... Like it just keeps building Darker and building and, and building, and you're just like, oh my god, how how is anyone going to come out of this? And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's fantastic. Okay, in my last pick uh, or my last watch for this week, I snuck off to the theater to to see uh, Midsummer uh, mm-hmm. or Mid Mid-Sommer. Sweden, we should say uh, Midsummer. Um, yeah, Ari Aster's uh, new uh, horror uh, psychological thriller uh, flick, and. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I mean, I was a big Hereditary fan. Like, I saw Hereditary and um, I really enjoyed it. I thought there were some goofy parts at the end, mm-hmm. and then um, I rewatched it, and then I saw like all the connections like throughout the whole thing that he was building up to. And so, yeah, I was thrilled to see this in the theater. Uh, snuck away to see it today and had a blast with it too. It's a real, real slow burn. Um, yeah, are you the, guys? Uh, the, you think the, you'll see it? When yeah, it comes to Canada. We're, yeah, we'll probably be seeing when it, it comes. Yeah, the thing yeah. that like I gives me pause though is a hundred and forty-seven minute runtime. Where it's like, holy Ooh. smokes, that's a. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is about runtimes. They just like in the comfort of my own home. Even it's like oh, that's okay, mm-hmm. but in a theater, finding trying to find time like setting aside three hours to go to the theater. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, it seems so it seems so tough for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, the and plan this is, the is kind to of- see it. Um, now this is the kind of movie where I think they might've been waffling, whether it's going to be R or NC 17, it gets pretty darn extreme in this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of the violence and, uh, sexual content, I've never seen the wicker man, but I guess there's some similarities to the pagan ritual stuff between what's going to, it looks very wicker man ish. (laughs) Like where's it going to leave? Yeah. Some people said it was more wicker man than the wicker man even like, (laughs) okay. So yeah, I don't know. You should watch Wicker Man with uh, our boy Christopher Lee. He's yeah, he's an all time stud. <laughs> uh, yeah, you should watch that one too. Yeah, watch <laughs> them all, man. Um, I really appreciate like I kind of like the the Kubrick vibes that Ari Aster kind of brings mm-hmm. in his work. Um, there's a whole lot of like overheads in this thing. There's this really cool shot where like the camera starts like over the head of this car and it makes an arc. And then by the time the shot is finished, you're actually looking at the world upside down, and that's how they drive you into like this cult, uh, this the pagan cult's facility. So it's very disorienting there. Um, yeah, it was. Um, it's like I said, it's a real big. It's a it's a slow burn. Um, some real real intense moments. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, I thought it was my, kind of my jam. Any? Uh, you have any questions about it? Maybe mm, that might be the best way I, to tackle I, it. I I don't have any questions because I'm going to. 
be seeing it as soon as possible and i want to go in with no expectations there <laughs> you go the hereditary guy enjoyed it so yeah, yeah there you go well, yeah that's the thing it's like i i hereditary as uh i remember saying someone was asking we were actually at the comic store uh today we were talking mm -hmm. about midsummer whether or not it was coming to lethbridge and then i was kind of like i did not like hereditary at all and like the two guys i was talking to were like wait what what did you like about it and i was just like it just felt like a comedy like i was like watching it being like is this like why are people talking about this being terrifying like i thought it was like it just felt like everything was played for laughs which is fine but it seemed like so at mm. odds with things and so mm -hmm. midsummer i'm kind of like huh i feel like it's more amped up from what i've read a little bit about that it's also like got this like real sense of humor running through it which like based on ari aster's uh short film uh the strange thing about the johnsons it's like once i've seen that i'm like all i see is his movies being is like uh todd solon's films but like he's basically doing these horror movies right now and i'm curious if he's capable what else he would be capable of doing but i mean a24 is kind of a welcoming this stuff which is yeah interesting but yeah I, I i'm gonna watch it like probably with lowered expectations and uh just kind of go in and see like what it is and see if I, it works for me or not but i'm mm -hmm. really curious how this will like how was the audience that you saw this yeah with? were they into question. it there was one other guy in the theater oh and when okay. i turned around at the end he was gone yeah, <laughs> so i'm not nice. sure if he walked out during okay. some of the crazy uh um sex ritual stuff going on sure. So well, did you hear about the infamous showing of uh, Hereditary that I went to, and why that that movie has forever been tainted for me? Uh, no, I I need to look for that episode. Which one was that? Uh, whenever Hereditary aired, it was probably like aired. two weeks after aired. Whenever it came, <laughs> when it was released, it was probably like two weeks after. But uh, no, I had one of the worst crowds of all time, and uh, that movie was. Oh, completely ruined for me and uh that's why i didn't like it so much i was like i don't like this i was like this crowd ruined this movie for me and i'm gonna hold a grudge uh an un irrational grudge against it <laughs> that happened to me a little bit with spider-man like i had this row of kids behind me and like during all the action sequences they're like whoa cool look at that wow and i was like would you shut up? You're totally taking me out of this, which I'm actually, I'm kind of a, a prideful father. Like my kids, I make sure they are dead silent in the movie theater. Like <laughs> nice. Every time my little boy's like, Oh, that's cool. I'm like, no, no. Shh, shh. So I shut try up. to get them going the right way. Nice. But that's, but that's all I watched other than uh, the good old fear and loathing and all nice. those documentaries. <laughs> cool, man. All right. Well, I'm going to try to keep my movies short. Uh, Why don't so, you keep so, your movie short, Jarrett? Yeah. Last week. Uh, well, you were a kid I, in the candy store last week with all those uh, old old uh, World War II flicks. I know. That, that was a, I know. It's so I, great to hear and you love movies for once. I, I know. Yeah. So uh, first up, last week, I think it was Jackson, asked if there was any movies that like haven't been able to find or anything like that. And there's the one movie that came to mind called Atrapados, Atrapados um, which is like a Spanish for trapped, buried, trapped alive or something like that. And uh, it was this movie that got onto my radar. Uh, this one blogger years ago had this like on their top 50 and I, I kind of was like I loved all their other movies and I was like what is this and I could never find it and then I, I put a list up of with, with, the, with the only one movie on Letterboxd hey how can I watch this and Jackson came through and found it mm. immediately on YouTube which is weird because Did I you even try looking no I literally <laughs> before posting typed in the title of the movie into Google and it does not come up and it didn't come up. Mm. And so I'm like, okay. And I, I've checked this before. And then like he posts it. Oh, I think I found it. And I'm like, 
wait a minute, this is it. Matthew Bryce, it's on YouTube, and it's been up since, like, 2013. Shameful. Like, what the f- <laughs> It's like, God damn it. So, of course, I had like, okay, I have to watch this today. Now I have to watch it because, uh-huh. I, like, because I've been wanting to watch it for so long. Uh, the copy of this, so it was uploaded by the director. Uh, he made it in 1981. The copy of this on YouTube is not great. It, it is obviously taken from an old VHS tape. Um, I would love to see this get properly restored, just like any movie. I think everything should be like at some point digitized into like a presentable HD version because Mm -hmm. I think uh, my feeling of this might be different because watching it, it was like, this is fine. Uh, The story is it's, it's set in like uh, the rotten apple, um, just dirty old New York uh, amongst like all the projects getting torn down and whatnot. Uh, This Mm -hmm. woman who's kind of like a spiritual woman. uh, She kind of gets kind of like, not sexually assaulted, but gets kind of like groped at by this big, fat, drunken plumber who just like made a pass at her, kind of cornered her, named RJ. And named uh, Jared. Yeah. And then like, and it's like sort of this like kind of cold open with this like camera shot following him around and they kind of cross paths. And then the kind of movie just jumps ahead to him like at work and he goes to her apartment one day to solve some problem. And while he's there, they're having a, like a brief conversation. Some like incident happens some sort of disaster happens like it's like an earthquake and these two wind up being stuck in this basement uh for it turns out the rest of their lives and like there's no real Mm. explanation of what's gone on on the outside world they kind of make they they start making these conclusions that like well no one's come to find us which probably means that everyone's dead maybe it was some sort of like nuclear war and we're like the last people alive and it's just like this guy over the course of the movie he's just like wasting away so here's an example of a really great performance i guess it's like one of those uh christian bale style uh performances where it's like or a robert de niro where he's like he's like this like overweight guy and over time he's just wasting away his beard's growing longer and you're like man this would be like a you'd have to shoot this in order i guess like this whole film to like capture the his body weight changes over the course of like months but with a smaller project like this you don't have to be like reliant on like quick uh turnaround as far as productions you can just shoot your footage pick up where you are because you're doing it all in this like close set um so this woman she's like got enough vegetables to last them it seems like for way too long. Um, there's no explanation of like, where do you go to the bathroom? Uh, it seems like they have some sort of source of water, but the whole movie is just kind of like them, like kind of being forced with to be in such proximity to one another and just kind of like these kind of going through these philosophical back and forths and like, kind of like the change of mm-hmm. his character. Um, Cause he's like at the beginning, these rats are crawling in through holes and he's like catching them and eating them. And she's like, no, like, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to keep eating vegetables. He's like, Oh, that's great. That's fine by me. But then one day the rats start, stop coming completely. And it's like, well, either they learned to not go in there cause they just get eaten or there's no more rats. And, just time goes on they wind up in a relationship and they have this idea we're going to repopulate the earth and uh they have a baby and they're like well yeah and it's like if it's a male Mm -hmm. like we're it's just like kind of like very biblical where it's like well one of us has to lie with this child when it grows up and it's like well if it's a male this like i guess it'll be me and if it's a female it'll be like this but then the child's born and it kind of falls into the realm of uh the movie threads with like horrifying like babies uh being born that aren't that probably don't want to be alive it's like weird but like Mm. it's not as grim as i'm even describing it um it's kind of hard to get a handle on the film like i said because the uh, presentation of this vhs quality youtube video it doesn't do it any favors because it's like you can't really judge it like on how good it would look if it was like the real film but like i'd love to see like vinegar syndrome or somebody like put this out 
but uh, I have no idea. Like this movie's so obscure. Like I, uh, I was looking at this guy's only made a couple other like kind of like odd little things here. One called like Hider in the Dark. Uh, that seems like more people have seen. But this uh, Atropados, it's a it's a weird little novelty film that I'm glad uh, Jackson was able to track down for me so I could talk about it finally. Any thoughts mm. on this movie that no one's ever heard of? <laughs> I'm just embarrassed for you for not being able to find talk, it talk when. About, Talking about horrible research skills. I mean, all it probably took yeah. was like typing in Atropados and Matthew Bryce, the director's name, and it just pops right up, which is like incredible. Because yeah. like I remember like four or five years ago posting this on a Facebook group, and no one can find it either. Like it's it's mm-hmm. weird. So I have no idea. Maybe it was like on private, like privacy settings were turned off, and like or it was like made so it wasn't available, and then suddenly maybe someone went ah screw it, and they just turned it on re- like in the last mm-hmm. while. But yeah, I have no idea why it doesn't pop up. Maybe in the you're Google just search. a bad dude. Well, yeah, that goes without say. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. So why does why is on the poster there this like oblivion? Th- this is um, cosmic this, like, thing. Yeah. I don't know. It's like it's it comes <laughs> into the movie. Like there's these sort of like these sequences, these dream sequences. Because I guess like if you were living underground, uh, and like your days were just like marking it off on the wall, which is actually a really good visual in this. Is that you see how many days they're spending because they're marking them off five at a time, and it just like you see the wall just filling up slowly, and you realize they've been there for for so long and then time just disappears and they start like kind of dream like dreams are like feel like reality and all these little things so there's these like kind of like things like where like they start having these discussions and then it kind of goes to this like kind of space field it's just kind of like that's what mm-hmm. that that's what that's about <laughs> um, the space field isn't no. people say that the podcast is kind of no. the space field yeah <laughs> that's where, I where go. time doesn't matter yeah so speaking of the rotten apple, uh, I watched a couple, a few movies by uh, a female director by the name of Roberta Finley, who Sam Sanchez mm-hmm. uh, had mentioned as a uh, director that he had uh, some fondness for. Uh, I checked out one of these uh, films on, from Vinegar Syndrome called The Ultra of Lust, which is just a full-on pornography and not even a very well-made mm. one. But boy, this thing is like I'm watching this thing like Friday evening, and I was just like, these people don't look like they're really enjoying what they're doing. And uh, I just kind of put it on fast forward and I was just like, yep, that's, that's fine. But then I later on checked out this movie called Tenement. Um, And this movie, oh my gosh, it is like uh, Death Wish 3. Uh, I'm not sure if if RJ, I know you've seen that Death Wish 3. Oh yeah. But this movie is just like this hyper violent, like kind of multicultural gang warfare on a apartment building. Um, And... Holy crap, like no no one is safe in this movie. Everyone is nice. up up for grabs as far as getting shot and killed. Uh oh man, this movie is grim. It's Roberta Finley. So her background was her and her husband, Michael Finley. They directed uh which I think I brought up uh, when I talked about the Finleys, uh Ruffies. These like 1960s like weirdo black and white New York movies about just sex pests and perverts and like weird wild sex kind of stuff. And that's what they kind of got their start off. And then they kind of split apart in the late seventies. Uh, Michael Finley wound up actually being killed in an absolutely horrific helicopter accident on like a mm. New York skyscraper where he was like chopped to bits. Like it was like some random thing. And I was like, I had no idea about this until I was reading on Wikipedia. And I was like, Oh uh, wow. No one talks about that. <laughs> Uh, Roberta Finley, she's fine. She's still around. Uh, she wasn't like 
cinematographer for his movies and sometimes actress. And then she kind of got into directing herself. I'd say that at this point of the movies I've seen of hers, Tenement is the, uh, the, the top of the ones I've seen. It's like, it's not great made, not greatly made or anything like that, but man, I was like watching it completely held my attention. I had no idea where things were going. It's shoddy here and there, but Oh man, it it captures that uh, that snapshot of mid '80s mm. New York grime so well. Uh, a genre uh, that weird subgenre that I just love so much. Is that uh, an Ar- Argento film? Uh, no, it's not like a Inferno, but Inferno kind of exists in that that plane of existence. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> does I Mean Streets kind of deliver some of that? Ah, it's. Marty's such a clean guy. You know, it's like, there's oh. another, I love, like, that would definitely fall into, like, when I rewatch Mean Streets, it's definitely going to be into my rotten apple, but it doesn't have, like, that neonness. Like, it's, like, got the, the that mean scrappiness of it, that, like, it's a, another part, but I'm talking, like, these ones are just, like, like, they're ugly movies, like Maniac, uh, Street Trash. I guess those are like, mm. th- like those movies are just like on a whole different level for me from Mean Mean Streets. But it's been a long time since I've seen Mean Streets last. Like in my mind, I always think of like Harvey Keitel putting his hand over the fire and like the the all the parades going on in like Little Italy for like the Catholic stuff. I remember like all those little elements and uh, uh, Johnny uh, Robert De Niro is uh, Johnny and stuff like that. And like the I love the the cadence of uh, Scorsese's writing and his characters. Those movies are like too almost too sweet <laughs> for like these like horrible ugly movies or just like oh, i'm man. so unfamiliar with this uh this bad this bad apple um genre you've uh, well seemingly invented there was a there's a guy there's a letterbox list uh i can't remember the name of the user yokum or something like that yokum white yokum yeah it's like j-o-a-c-h-m he has a, oh. i think a list called rotten apple and so i've been taking movies oh, called rotten, rotten apple as, as i find more stuff i think the initial list is like 50 movies it's just they're just like kind of like that pre-giuliani like just like how horrible new york city was for like two decades mm. and just like the, the 42nd street vibe just like yeah like we're just like yeah there's Would escape like, from new york fit in there yeah i mean yeah i mean it definitely like I mean, one I've seen. it's a post-apocalyptic but uh like it's but it's like but it also like eh, it's kind of what new york is like anyway i guess in that window of time just like mm. cranked up a little bit but yeah it's um I don't know. It's one of those genres that, like, I when I come across a good, uh, dirty New York movie, I'm like, oh, I haven't seen this one yet, so I'm like all over. And Tenement, it's like, it's it's like not like a great made movie, but man, is it entertaining and like it is like, ugh, <laughs> gross. Like Death Wish three. <laughs> yeah, you got <laughs> you got to watch those Death Wishes, uh, Justin. There, uh, if you want some action, some Charles Bronson, some dad action. Mm, mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> okay. I have to watch that with the old man. There, there, there you go. Um, okay, and then I watched a whole bunch of war movies. I'm just like I have no idea why. I just like I've been I'm in the right space, uh, right place of mind to watch World War II stuff. Uh, and these were all first time watches for me. Uh, a Bridge Too Far, which is like a ridiculous cast, ridiculous. You just look at this thing, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's directed by uh, Richard Attenborough, and yeah, it it, it depicts uh, a failed uh, Allied military maneuver uh, in Holland. Uh, where they basically were, they parachuted in like I can't remember what it was called. I can't remember the name of the exact operation, but they parachuted in like ten thousand odd soldiers to basically take these three bridges, and they basically overlooked the fact that they were deploying infantrymen against uh, a Panzer division of tanks, and it didn't go well 
for uh, one particular group. And it's just like this grueling kind of like back and forth of like them trying to take this town, but they're, they're up against like superior forces. And it's like, it's kind of interesting to watch a movie that like depicts allied failures because I mean, at the end of the day, we, oh, they won. They won everything. They never had any setbacks, which wasn't true. But this is like one of those movies that like takes three hours and has like Robert Redford, uh, Gene Hackman, Sean Connery, uh, Elliot Gould, all all the all the seventies guys. Gould. The, Elliot Gould, he's in there a little bit. Oh my god! Uh, Anthony Hopkins, like this movie's stacked up with people. Um, and yeah, like Robert Redford, he has like this. Like I don't know if you've uh, either of you ever played the video game uh, Medal of Honor or uh, any like things like that. Uh, there's this Is there one called anything like Contra. Uh, not like Contra. There's no aliens oh. uh, in Bridge to Far that we know of, though. There's that there's some like of, there's some like yeah. weird alt history documentaries. I'm sure that would talk about the Nazis and aliens, but that mm-hmm. is not this movie. Uh, but yeah, Bridge to Far was like, it, I I really enjoyed watching it. It kind of ends on this almost weirdly upbeat note, <laughs> but it's like, well, I guess at the end of the day, the uh, the D Day and whatnot, and the like, we we won, we we did it, we beat the Nazis eventually. But did we? Uh, did we? Well, that's that's debatable, I guess. Now, because mm-hmm. now apparently it's okay to defend Nazis. But hey, whatever. That's a different podcast. Um, <laughs> Missed that one. Yeah. Missed the memo the, on that. That's not the Justin Peterson podcast. That's the Jordan Peterson oh, podcast. Oh, no, he doesn't touch you it see? either. He doesn't. He doesn't even get into that stuff. He doesn't. He people want him to, but he doesn't because he's smart. Uh, uh, Twelve o'clock high with Gregory Peck. This movie uh, <laughs> deals with. Uh, bombers going into making shots on Germany in 1942 before uh, the the ground troops got there. And yeah, it's just Gregory Peck. He's a general that's called in to snap this group of uh, uh, bombers into action because they're kind of like losing a lot of ships and men to injuries and bad morale. And he's in there to get them uh, up and running again. And the movie just kind of like tells the whole story. Uh, there's not till the very end where they actually get into an actual operation when they have to go like 400 miles into behind enemy lines in Germany to blow up a ball bearings factory. And uh, it's like they use a lot of actual stock footage from World War II in there. And it's very like, it, it looks really crappy because it's obviously cameras being mm-hmm. put on like planes that were in like under fire uh so it's like you get what you get like it's like oh these planes were the ones that made it back and they just had these cameras set up just to get footage and it's probably been the same footage has been reused and reused for decades in every world war ii documentary there is but uh there's like some really good moments in this particularly gregory peck is this like also this is 19. 49 so it's only four years after the war had ended and uh it's actually dealing with like ptsd in the context of like people losing it in war like rather than like Mm -hmm. everything's cool and then they come home and then some of them act a little weird they're a little uh battle wary like or whatever the the terminology was like in for instance like the master like kind of like where guys are guys are shell shocked that was the 50s one thank you uh Mm -hmm. yeah just like the the nice terms that we use that are like oh guys are a little odd dad's a little weird now that's okay (laughs) so this like actually was dealing with the fact like yeah no people were messed up like while this was happening as like would be a rational thing to be when you're seeing horrible things all the time and losing friends and family left and right. And, you know, being shot at being, you know, bombs going off around you. Not a, not a good time. Listening to this podcast, listening to this podcast. I'm one day Mm -hmm. there'll be a lawsuit, but yeah, this one was okay. I've seen some people, uh, really like this. I thought it was fine. Like I, I would uh, be saying there's world war two movies I would recommend before it. Uh, I've got five for hell, which is an Italian, uh, world war two movie from hell, 
five the Rob Zombie five, movie? Yeah, not yet. Five oh, for okay. hell. I only watched this because it had Klaus Kinski in it, and I read some mm. weird kind of comments about it, about gymnastics. And I was like, what is this all about? So I watched it, and yeah, I kind of just had this movie on while I was doing other things. This movie is like definitely on the jokier side. Uh, it felt like mm-hmm. it's, it's like a spaghetti western, but like a more of a dopier spaghetti western with like bad humor, broad kind of Italian jokes and stuff like that. It's just like these these five guys, they get trained, and they're all they have trampolines, and like <laughs> they do gymnastics, and they're going to do a Dirty Dozen-style infiltration of a Nazi base. I, I couldn't tell you much more about it. It was just kind of like happening in the background. I'd seen some things mentioned. Klaus Kinski was like really memorable and like sadistic as the villain, but he didn't seem like that remarkably bad. He's just uh, just typical bad, evil Nazi stuff. So that one was mm. peh, peh. But uh, the last two I'll talk about quickly. Number one, Play Dirty, uh, which is about the African desert conflict stuff with Rommel. Uh, Play Dirty starring Michael Caine. He is a soldier who's going on a secret mission to go blow up a uh, well, uh, fuel reserve uh, that's, like, behind enemy lines. So they have to go ahead and go through. But they're all going through the desert. There's this, like, crazy commander who's, like, got this idea, like, looking at history, looking at how Alexander fought wars in North Africa. And we're going to use this as a template, how you have to train up men. And they, of course, get prisoners uh, instead of leaving them in prison to go do this. Uh, and so it's just, like... It, this movie is like 1969, so later than a lot of these other movies. I guess Bridge Too Far was 77, but uh, Play Dirty, 69. Grim, real war stuff. Um, I This is like my bread and butter as far as like uh, aesthetics go. Mm-hmm. Just like men on the road, like in, out in the middle of nowhere. There's no there's no prisoners taken. It is unforgiving morality. Uh, there's no winners or losers. Everybody is like a mess. It's like in war, anything goes. There's no uh, like we gotta do what's right. It's like no, this movie doesn't play like that at all. It is uh, just grim business. Uh, mm-hmm. I like I think Twilight Time put this out on Blu-ray, um, and yeah, like I I think this movie is like a, a real terrific little surprise. And then finally, uh, Mori Turi. Uh, which is a Marlon Brando playing a German man movie. <laughs> it's like, it's so weird. It's I kind of like the thing I was saying about Gene Hackman playing a, a Polish man. Uh, hearing Marlon Brando through his thick Marlon Brando like voice doing German, it's pretty tough. This one, he plays like an expat during World War II. He wants nothing to do with the war. He doesn't want to have to be forced to make any decisions. He gets blackmailed by British um, in intelligence guy who's like i know you're a german and uh if you don't do what we what we want you to do we're going to like expose you and you're going to go spend the rest of the next few years in a camp so he's like okay fine so he's forced to play a ss uh agent on a ship that's carrying rubber uh from tokyo all the way back to berlin and uh this ship is run by yul brenner and uh <laughs> hijinks ensue so the whole thing is like he's he's trying to convince like people at all times that he's an ss soldier he does a pretty good job but there's complications when there's like a u-boat that pops up and says hey we we blew up a a destroyer here's a bunch a bunch of prisoners one of them being this young woman this young woman also being jewish and her like not really giving a shit anymore about anyone knowing it which is also a danger in this world because you know there's people who are part of the part of the party that are on the ship that she's now on um he rallies a few people who are like obviously have some objections to what's happening in germany and the idea of germany winning the war and getting this rubber which they can use for three months to run all their uh tanks and vehicles 
Uh, this movie, it's not too bad. Like it starts off like it, it's very formulaic. Conrad Hall, uh, the cinematographer, famed for like apartment and stuff like that. He shot this. It looks great. Uh, it, it it kind of is very formulaic, and then it takes these turns where I was just like, whoa. That got dark in a hurry. And then there's like another turn where you're like, oh, whoa. Like, this is like really not where I was expecting. And then the final shot of this is absolutely amazing. Like, it's stunningly beautiful. Uh, it just involves like this wrecked ship and Marlon Brando walking around on it. And it's like, that's a real ship like in a body of water and it looks incredible. Uh, so yeah, that was like, these are the, those, uh, play dirty and moratory were like the real pleasant surprises. Cause I don't think they get talked about a lot bridge too far. I think every, like a lot of people have heard of it. They probably haven't seen it, but it's out there, but I don't know. I've been having a really good string of luck with watching these world war two movies. I've got a list that I came across that I've got about five or six more movies on. So you'll probably wind up hearing about them in the coming weeks, but <gasps> that's my run through. Huh? <laughs> <sighs> 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 Everyone's oh, good. Have you guys seen Overlord? I have not seen Overlord. No? No. Um, Sounds you need cool, to watch though. that as well. Yeah, because that because Criterion put that out, correct? I believe. No, this this or, is like the brand new thing where it's oh, like Nazi oh, zombies. Oh, the Nazi zombie one. Okay. Yeah. Because there's also no, a... No, not yet. Yeah, because there's also the uh, Overlord the, from like the 70s. Yeah, is, with like Stanley deep. Kubrick's photographer or something. Yeah, that sounds right. And then there's like before that, there's The Longest Day, which are like, I think both movies I've seen, like, they're okay. Like, they're good. They're not great, great. I mean, it seems like uh, if you want to see like a, the D-Day done right, it's just like that the first like quarter of uh, Saving Private Ryan seems to be kind of the, the gold standard. Go to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, let's forego news because by God, we have a movie to review tonight. <laughs> oh, do we? <laughs> yeah, we sure Oh, do. whoops. So after the break... Um, we're getting into that bathtub and the grapefruits, and it's going to be a, a good old time, boys. Our days are no days until you are mine. Ooh, yes. Ooh, yes. These long, strange nights. Country. Ah! Oh, damn, I never rode in a convertible before. Get out. 
Why not? Is this not a reasonable place to park? Reasonable? You're on a sidewalk! Higher! What's the score here? <laughs> Lucy paints portraits of Barbara Streisand. God bless. Hell, look what you're doing to your car! <laughs> Someone should stop that! Police, are you people crazy? Universal Pictures presents the story that defined a generation. Johnny Depp. Benicio Del Toro. Let's get down to brass tacks here. How much for the eight? Fear and loathing in Las Vegas. A Terry Gilliam film. All right, now I've got to go. Tuck lunch! Radio, man, radio. And we're back. This is the Criterion Creeps podcast. And tonight we're talking about Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas from 1998, directed by Terry Gilliam. And we're joined by Justin Peterson via our Patreon offer that you can join us uh, to co-host for an episode of perhaps your favorite Yay. movie. Hi, Justin. Hey, Jared and RJ. <laughs> Great to be here. This is, this is for the benefit for our YouTube listeners who only listen to our YouTube mm-hmm. episodes. But you gotta hey, get on the SoundCloud. There, see there's the whole there's, show. there's mm-hmm. exactly where there's dozens of hours that you've never listened to. But yeah, yeah. it. it, it <laughs> It's hard to believe that those people exist out there that only listen to the YouTube portion and then make the comments about how we, uh, you know, we're just pretty poor people. We're not very smart. We don't understand metaphors. But people like Justin Peterson, I believe, found us through the YouTube, right? And then yeah, I listened the, uh, to the entire. Um, yeah, I listened to the entire collection on the YouTube, and then uh, one day uh, Jared had commented like, "Hey, you want to hear my thoughts on Mandy? Go to the SoundCloud." I was like. Oh, look at this whole other show you got. Yeah. So now I'm re-listening to all the episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, wild. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really... This afternoon as I was uh, bathing my children, I was watching, I was hearing RJ's thoughts on the old uh, Lethal Weapon series. Oh, so. my oh God. God. I hope they weren't, I hope they couldn't hear that too, right? No, no. I definitely got the headphones. Ah. Okay, good. Because I was going to say, I, I don't, I've ruined enough kids' lives with my opinions and i think if you listen to the preamble a couple weeks ago about the steak trip on that kid who a hundred percent has ptsd from watching me violently throw up in a parking lot like i am if i know kids are around i can be friendly but uh, i never in my wildest dreams did i imagine kids would be listening to this <laughs> i hope at least i don't know once it's out there it's out there but yep. hey a synopsis here from letterboxd Ooh. Raul, or sorry, oh, for whatever reason, it didn't copy and paste the tagline, which I believe is uh, buy the ticket, take the ride. Come on, Jared. Raul Duke and his attorney, Dr. Gonzo, drive a red convertible across the Mojave Desert to Las Vegas with a suitcase full of drugs to cover a motorcycle race. As their consumption of drugs increases at an alarming rate, the stoned duo trash their hotel room and fear legal repercussions. Duke begins to drive back to L.A., but after an odd run-in with a cop, he returns to Sin City and continues his wild drug binge. I will say that that's one way that one could talk about this movie. Sure, <laughs> like, sure. it, it is very 
plot heavy. But um, so mm-hmm. I just want to get out of the way. I have a, a very specific anecdote about my introduction to fear and loathing in Las Vegas. So mm-hmm. uh, back when I was in high school, probably grade 10, uh, a friend of mine, Corey, he was taking a multimedia course at the local college and he had a tape recorder with him and he wanted me to read the opening like paragraphs of the book, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, a book that I didn't know anything about because I was 15, 16 years old. And I was like, okay. And he's like, yeah, just read this, read these lines. And I think he was doing that because like, I guess like I had a, like the, a deeper voice than like someone else did questionable and like, questionable and so i was like okay and so i was like reading this and i was like what am i what what is e- eth ether ether men's school like i didn't know what these things were these are like what are these words these drug things and so he's like correcting me and like we kept doing it but i could never like figure out what he wanted me to do and i'm like what is this in reference to what is this he's like oh just do it this way just do it this way. And i was like so i was getting very annoyed by this because like what what am, I, what am i reading this for and then after that he showed me the first 10 minutes of the movie fear and loathing in las vegas and i watched it and i went oh you just didn't want me to do a, a johnny depp hunter s thompson mm-hmm. impersonation you wanted me to try to do this like he was trying to direct me to do this properly but he failed or like i was just like what, what am i doing this for i like how you put the blame on him or or it's like i'm like i'm i'm a child i'm, I'm a young man like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know anything about this these these wild drugs but then i watched this movie clip thing and i was like Oh, this is weird. This seems like an adult movie. Uh, maybe one of these days I'll have to watch this this movie picture. So at some point, like we probably shortly thereafter, I borrowed this movie from him. And then I watched it. And I'm, I'm trying to remember whether or not this would have been the first Terry Gilliam movie I watched. It probably was. Is that or Brazil? Pretty darn close. So uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. This is a movie that I've seen many a times. Um, I remember very excitedly buying this on Criterion with the really cool, clear case sliding out with the Stedman art on the print. And then uh, gorgeous DVD, which I've got some sad words to say about now. But uh, I was like super stoked when this came out. Uh, It was like, wow, it's like a Criterion release, but of like like a real movie, like a a real movie that's like a studio release. That was like, it was like kind of like that era where like something like that, like a Royal Tenenbaums would have come out, but then Fear and Loathing, it's like, well, this is a big deal. And it's two discs big thick black case loaded with with interviews and three commentary tracks the supplements rj something that we haven't talked about Mm -hmm. a lot lately so many supplements Mm -hmm. um and so yeah this is a movie that um i have not i had not seen until this weekend probably for at least 10 years if not longer it's just one of those movies that i just like it doesn't really fit into anything that i've been particularly interested in um beyond like oh i'd like to rewatch terry gilliam's movies that would be about the closest thing that would uh probably make me want to watch it but going into this i was like i think this movie's really well made and i'm going to watch this movie and be Mm -hmm. like man this movie's so well done like the wide angle lenses um so in preparation i watched the gonzo documentary it's got a little bit of footage of this in here and i was like oh yeah i'm so excited now to watch this movie again because it's been so long and yeah watching this movie again uh it's like it's it's definitely terry gilliam's last uh great movie uh easily because i was like, like after that it's like kind of he for whatever reason he's kind of like a Guillermo del toro he has a hard time mm. getting th- projects made like the way he wants them because he has he's not into the 12 monkeys well 12 monkeys is before fear and loathing it's like 95 right 
I'll look into this. Yeah, I think it's before because I was forget. Like in my mind too, I remember I thought Fear and Loathing was earlier, but uh, yeah, Fear and Loathing, like Twelve Monkeys is like surprise. I'm pretty positive. RG's going to correct me here in a second, but it's I'm going to look at it right now. Fear and Loathing was '98. Yep. Twelve Monkeys was '95. Yeah. See, uh. s- s- I made no. Hey, Justin, mm. I uh, often in my mind <laughs> think the exact same way that it's the other way around. But yeah, no, Twelve Monkeys. Uh, surprisingly, is 1995. <laughs> like it's like mm-hmm. earlier than you would expect. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like so, Fear and Loathing also is a weird one because 1998 is like one of those years of movies where you're like, oh, it should have been made in 99. That big iconic year where like every big movie it seemed like for like an entire generation of like millennial uh, cinephiles yeah. watched movies in 1999, and that was like a big year. And so Fear and Loathing just fell outside of that. And I'm always mm-hmm. like actually surprised when I read about Fear and Loathing, the the lack of reaction to it when it came out, um, just like how it didn't really, the critics were mixed on it. Uh, it, it so I, was, I, I have to interrupt you, Jared. Okay. I got to steamroll you for a second. Yep. Are you aware, like I'm aware that there is, at the time of release, it wasn't that well interpreted, but are you aware that right now, present day, its current Metacritic rating is 41%. That's probably based on the original reviews. You think so? Yep. Roger Ebert gave it a one out of four. That sounds right. Which is why I always hold that Roger Ebert is just full of shit. (laughs) He is just the worst film critic. Oh, man, I should have read that review. I'd be curious what his uh, issues are. Okay. I got it right here. I'll read it. You keep going. A few things here. Okay. Uh, I'm not even talking about the movie just yet. Uh, I I watched the movie, and then I read the book. And I don't know if that had like much of an impact because I remember reading the book and I felt like, oh, I've already seen this. Like I've seen the like the the movie does such a great job of capturing the the movie. Like 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 why I just watch the movie rather than read the book. Um, like and I've read like other Hunter S. Thompson books. I've read uh, Hell's Angels. I've uh, read uh, Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail seventy two, which I I actually I think is like a fantastic book. Like I uh, a snapshot of like Nixon era stuff i love nixon stuff i love the man but i love the that era so much i i find it super fascinating and that book uh is great and actually it's probably one of the highlights of the gonzo documentary for me is it kind of touches upon uh that element a lot which i think i saw some people complain there's too much of it which is bizarre because like well he wrote an entire book on this so why wouldn't there be an emphasis and he did hate it he did hate nixon (laughs) and it's like that's a big Mm -hmm. chunk of it so Back to this movie here, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Uh, we got here Johnny Depp, who I think completely disappears into the role of Hunter S. Thompson. When I watch this mm-hmm. movie, I don't even like see Johnny Depp in it. Like there's like just tiny little glimpses where you're like, oh yeah, that's Johnny Depp. For the most part though, he he shaved his head. He's got the glasses on. He's got the bucket hat. He's got the, the Acapulco shirt, uh, shorts. And he's just like, he's just that character. He is completely in it and it's like not a surprise that they've gone back to him so often for like for instance rum diary or uh, in gonzo they have him reading uh chapters of the book and like it's like Mm -hmm. yeah you would go with him because for many many people he is the voice of hunter s thompson now that hunter s thompson's not around anymore to to do any readings and even by Mm -hmm. this point i don't know the the state of him to do any of this stuff or what his interest would have been but did you hear that they actually uh considered john cusack as well yeah Mm-hmm. I, I man, saw there was a it's bunch. A it's, 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 a, it's a different yeah. movie, right? Like it'd be such a different movie, and I think he he could do it, but like he has like that 
he'd have that more of that Bill. He'd, 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 yeah, his performance would be closer mm. to Bill Murray and where the where the Buffalo Room. I think. I think that in my mind, that's where my mind goes to that. Um, and then you have Benicio del Toro as Doctor Gonzo, who, Ooh, oh my baby. God, gives one oh, of the baby. craziest, most immersive performances I think there is. Like it is mm-hmm. ridiculous. My once the anecdote that I thought about for since hearing it on, off the Criterion set. Um, so what are we looking at? Like. 15, 16 years now, the story of how he gained his weight by eating like a dozen donuts a day for months Mm -hmm. and then talking up. Yeah, that's how he got there. And then he talked about, it took him like a year to lose the weight, (laughs) but it took him like two months to gain it and then a year to lose it. And, uh, I'm pretty sure like a, like a real professional Hollywood trainer now would like get him into shape in no time at all. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's just like, I remember being that and being like, Jesus, (laughs) like, it's like, that's nuts. (laughs) And, um, it's like, that's like, that's one way of doing it, I guess. It's just donuts. It's like, it's pretty enjoyable, I guess. Donuts are pretty good, but uh, man, he like it's pretty. Uh, I don't know, I can't say enough good things about him because it's like, boy, mm-hmm. Dr. Gonzo as a character is just loathsome and despicable and so vile. Like, he is a just horrible, the coolest dude, he's so horrible, but like, he makes but it's Benicio del Toro, and he's so likable, and he's got this charm, like. The difference of when he's like, it's kind of like really a realistic thing where he's sober and clean. You like, you kind of get like, he's the, mm-hmm. he's the lawyer. Like he has a job and like, you hear like the tales, like, uh, he was like involved with like, I think in the documentary they referred to as like the Brown, like that, that, the man himself, uh, he was like into the Brown power movement and like, he was like an activist, like, but it seems like there's a switch that turns when he's like, and the opening, uh, quotation of the movie about like, uh, men become animals to be able to like live in the world that they live in. And like, there's this idea that like, and basically all the characters that underpine this is that like their behavior is a reaction to the world that they live in. And this is like, they have to like let themselves loose in this manner to like excise their demons and like become these like caricatures of, hum- of, uh, consumption and just go all out in like in the face of like good behavior and they're doing this in all places las vegas where this type of behavior is actually encouraged a lot um and so the the, the movie plot i mean it's a fairly like it is a plotless movie the, these two guys uh they're, they're going on a, a road trip uh to go uh so um uh, raul duke can go cover a, a motorcycle race mm-hmm. he he does that and then uh, they, of course, destroyed a hotel room. And then he's like, oh, oh we better sneak out. And then, uh, well, because Gonzo was gone, he's taking a plane back to L.A., but then he's gone. We get the story that the synopsis touches upon where he runs into uh, Gary Busey, uh, which is a scene that, like, man, every time I see a cop on a highway, I, I kind of, like, it crosses my mind. It's like, there's, no, there's nothing stopping this guy. This guy's got all the power in the world. What, what can you say? Um he winds up going back to Los Angeles or back to Las Vegas. He's in a new hotel room that, of course, winds up being destroyed. More drugs are taken. Um, and it's just dreary. Like, it's like this movie, like, I don't know. I am not a, a man who takes drugs or imbibes and alcohol, really. I, I, I live a pretty boring, straight, normie life. And I've often seen people who talk about this movie saying, like, oh, man, I watched this on so many drugs. It's so wicked. Or, like, this is the first time I've ever seen this movie sober. And I'm like... Oh my God. Like whenever I watch this movie, it terrifies me. I'm like, drugs seem like, it's like one of the, I, in me, like, I'm like, this is kind of like an anti-drug movie in some ways. Like to me, I'm like this, like the way that Terry Gilliam depicts 
like acid trips and like all the effects that you go under you. I'm like, it's a horror show. And I mean, I'm mm-hmm. people I've talked to who have done drugs. They say, yeah, that's kind of what happens with those carpets. Like they, they swirl around and the blood rolling your feet and stuff like that. And the way you stare at people's faces, it's possible and the, to walk in that the, muck. The, the, the swirling faces and stuff like that. I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh, and people do this willingly. <laughs> like it's, Oh, um, from a, yeah, but you're a square, Jared. I am a total square. Uh, yeah. there is, the uh the the use of practical effects uh that are in there the the dinosaurs mm-hmm. like it's like if they made the same scene now it would look so different they would not be using like stuff off the set of like the TV show dinosaur like with like dinosaur sex orgies and stuff like that they'd be using oh, I don't even want to imagine bad what would they C- be using here C- CGI CGI dinosaurs probably and it would be like very if they won't have that detail and presence where you're like, whoa, look at these really cool monster puppets like that look rad, uh, that would be gone. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I have nothing but praise. Like, I have like nothing but praise for this movie. I'll admit there are times in this movie that it drags. There are things where it's like it feels a little bit listless, which kind of also captures though, like because I mean it's an adaptation of the events of the story, which is like yeah, life isn't this like screenplay. It is like this mm-hmm. listless kind of series of like. And yeah, we're killing time in a hotel room and it's just like things go on and like these scenes kind of build up. Like they all serve a purpose. I don't think there's any moment in it that like is in the movie that doesn't lead into another scene or isn't drawn from the text. So I don't see the mm-hmm. complaint there because it feels relevant. But again, I haven't read the book. Uh, but I feel like watching this movie, it's like it does everything. It looks like a Ralph Steadman drawing, which is awesome. Like the scene where uh, you have uh, when uh, Depp walks into the second uh, hotel lobby and you see the sea of cops. It, it's mm-hmm. like, I always think of like how awesome that image of uh, Stedman's of like all the like jarhead cops all standing around with their like polos tucked into their shorts, all angrily shouting uh, at each other. <laughs> I'm like, it's like that scene. Like it looks exactly like that more or less. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think this movie is terrific. I think, uh, yeah, just like just filmmaking wise, it's so well made that that roving camera, the shakiness works really well. Uh, when it kind of like it, it doesn't really follow any like logic as far as like consistency, but like when it changes, it doesn't. It makes total sense. Terry Gilliam always has made movies like this. Like between Fisher King, he deploys it uh, a bit more conservatively. In Brazil, his yeah, his use of wide angle lens is like such a staple for me for his movies. That it has that right amount of distortion. That kind of always has his world out of sorts. Um, but I don't know. I'll leave it right there and I'm going to mm-hmm. hand it off to uh, RJ or Justin, whoever mm-hmm. wants to jump in here. Patreon uh, uh, friend of the show, Justin Peterson, maybe should take it away. Oh, Unless yes. he wants me to go. What do you want, Justin? It's up to you, big dog. Well, I, I do have an um, introduction about how I came to this movie. So um, me and my buddy John Dunlap um, in high school, we watched a lot of a lot of movies together. We watched the Monty mm-hmm. Pythons, have a few laughs over um, Meaning of Life. Mm-hmm. Um Monsieur needs another uh, bucket. Was one of our favorite scenes. Um, <laughs> Wafer fit. Got into the clock. Yeah, <laughs> um, we really into the Clockwork Orange, some uh, okay. edgier uh, artsy movies. And then one night he came over and said, "Justin, I got some uh, shit for you to watch." <laughs> sure. And so we pulled out *Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas*. Um, and I was like, "What is this?" And like, I remember, you know, in high school, you ha- kind of have that curiosity about all these different things out in the world. I mean, never partake, but you definitely like, you know, what's out in the world. And I think I remember getting to like the lizard scene and just being like, "Oh, what is this?" <laughs> and being really put off. I think I finished the movie, but it was kind of all a blur. Sure. Um, fast forward to college, I went to a Borders, and I was like, "Oh, 
that's that Fear and Loathing movie. And that's a pretty swift uh, look in a DVD there. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of relate with RJ with my introduction to the Criterion Collection because mm-hmm. I remember RJ saying that he bought a uh, Thin Red Line uh, DVD and didn't know it was Criterion. Because face and value. So that was the exact same case for me. So I have had my first Criterion long before I knew what the collection even was. Just a couple years ago, I actually got into the collection and was like, oh, I already got one. Mm-hmm. So I um, haven't upgraded the Blu-ray yet. It's still on Netflix like every year. So, um, yep. oh, so. I, I, I'll ask you right now. Did you, yeah. when you rewatched it, did you watch your DVD or did you watch it on Netflix? Netflix. You know, so Thanks. I started watching it on the DVD. The DVD mm-hmm. looks terrible. It looks, it's, oh, no. it, it is standard def and it's early, like it's 2003. The, the detail, like I'm watching it on a 4K TV, so I think it becomes really evident. And like, usually I haven't had that problem watching a DVD where I'm like, ugh, but I was watching it and I'm like, you couldn't see like the, the texture of his shirt and it was bugging me. Mm. And like, everything seemed out of focus. And I was like, oh, I'm like, well, it is on Netflix in HD. I'll watch that. And man, I made such the right decision because it looks so nice in HD. Like, because you actually see like, because like when you watch this on DVD, you don't really get the sense that his shirt is like this towel material. And when you're watching it on Mm Blu-ray, you're like, oh my God, that doesn't look at all what I imagined. Like this clean cut, like most people, I have a comment about this. I don't know if you guys remember, there was a era probably before uh, Hunter S kills himself in 2006, uh, where 2005 where there's like every Halloween party had like a guy that was dressed as Hunter S Thompson for like a while. Like at least in my mm-hmm. neck of the woods, like there was like three Hunter S Thompson's and then an Austin powers guy walked in and it was just like, yep. it, it was cause the easiest costume in the world. And everyone's like, I've got my cigarette holder. I'm going to light it up sideways just like Johnny D. Mm-hmm. And then like, Oh, I'm going to talk like him and talk like this. And it's just like, <laughs> Oh yeah. But now no one does that. It's just gone away. It's like the, the moment of, uh, this like has passed. I think people still like this movie, but I was really uh, surprised when I looked at Gonzo. Um, one of our listeners had watched this movie last year, but before that, it's it, it's a long time before anyone I follow has logged this. Like no one watches Gonzo. Mm-hmm. It seems like the moment of Hunter S. Thompson has kind of gone away, and it's kind mm-hmm. of like it's I don't know Gonzo. If, hey, it's Gonzo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, for the longest time in college, like I had kind of seen it as that drug movie. Where you know I would yeah. pop it in for people that never seen it before and be like, yeah, that's crazy. And it wasn't until I remember standing in my uh, college bookstore line and saw the book on the shelf there, I was like, yeah, I, you know, it has the cover from the movie. Um, yeah, I should uh, give that a read, check that out. And when I was reading it, it started making so much more sense of what Thompson was going for mm-hmm. with like the height of the hippie movement and that all being flushed away with Nixon and Vietnam and how they had their moment. And you, it's all it, it's all right there in the wave speech, yep. which mm-hmm. um, hopefully we get to. So it really started to click in what the purpose of this movie was. It's definitely, I think for a lot of people when they first come at it, is this shield of just drug craziness, which it is to an extent. But at the same time, there is a pretty deep message in there too. And so... Yep. That's when I really started enjoying it at a whole nother level. I saw it again last year, and I was just totally blown away. I enjoyed it so much more. And even when I watched it a few days ago, I was noticing so many more extra things. There's so much packed in here. Um, 
I mean, you could go into the fact that like he does all these different tricks with the camera in order to change the shutter rate, in order to make it look like the different kinds of drugs. Mm -hmm. And uh, you have the cameo from the lady from Brazil where her eyes are kind of going back and forth. Uh, So that's all great stuff. Um, So I'll leave it right there. I think there's plenty to talk about. But RJ, how were you uh, introduced to Good uh, Fear and Loathing? Fear and Loathing. Well... This may shock Jarrett, but uh, this movie I I just hit with a new tag on Letterboxd uh, as brother picks because uh, this was a movie that uh, my brother, who Jarrett knows my personally realtor. in real life, uh, this was a movie he introduced to me. And uh, he introduced me to uh, many movies, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Pulp Fiction, Clockwork Orange. And I know Jarrett might not believe that now as he is a uh, changed man nowadays, but uh Back way back when uh, he was dropping me with all sorts of uh, hot hot movies where I think I've mentioned on Clockwork Orange before where he showed me that movie when I was like ten years old and uh, I think I was a little a little young to appreciate all the uh, the delicate things in that movie I but um, even, yeah <laughs> yeah so like I, I watched a lot of these movies when I was younger just because your older brother's watching it so you watch it too so we have the Jarrett picks. We have the RJ picks, and now we got the brother picks on there. So uh, as you brought up, um, the first Criterion I probably owned was uh, Thin Red Line, like the actual Criterion version. And then if I had to backtrack it, I I would say it would be a pretty safe bet that the first one I ever actually watched was probably Fear and Loathing, kind of like in your sense, or without even realizing that it was this Criterion Collection movie. Um, So I have a long history with fear and loathing um my brother would show me movies and then i would take that and then force my friends to watch these movies uh where even if i was too young to actually understand them i would still force my friends to watch them uh friends of the show ryan nagel is uh one of one of such people one where of the victims one of the victims where i would make him watch these movies that even i didn't understand but uh Fear and Loathing is a great one because this is one of one movie where even if we were too young to pick up on a lot of a lot of the undertones like like what you said with the war and like things like that there were certain things that we pick like gravitated to and picked out of it and then they became part of like not even just our friendship but like our day-to-day stuff like one one big one that is going to sound crazy cuz it's such a small thing is when uh when Johnny Depp does um adrenochrome and then he's picturing Benicio del Toro as like the devil <laughs> yeah. and he he talks about growing <laughs> With claws tits on his back or something yeah, yeah. magnificent tits <laughs> Uh, we always pictured, a, he says grow claws, but we always thought he said wolf claws and then he like strikes a pose. So that was something we always did to each other. It was like wolf claws and like you would strike a pose to each other. I know that sounds dumb, but we were like 10 years old <laughs> watching fear um, and loathing in Las Vegas, watching fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Uh, so I have a long history with this. Uh, we had the VHS and that son of a bitch was played until that film was just like, that that tape was just burning out of there. Um, this is unironically uh, one of my actual f- all-time favorite movies. I don't know if I've ever even told Jarrett this. I don't think you I really love, have. I love Fear and Loathing. Like, uh, it's been um, many years since I've watched this, but this movie is just like like mac and cheese comfort food for me. Like, I 
I was watching it with Andrea, and uh, she had said that she had seen it before, but when we were watching it this week, uh, it seemed like it was new to her. Like, maybe she had seen parts of it, but not everything. But she got really quickly annoyed with the fact that I would say every line just before it was about (laughs) to happen. And, like, about an hour or, like, 20 minutes in, she's like, all right, enough. She's like, you, it's like, I get it. You like this movie. And I was like, I love this movie, baby. I'm going to hit you with all these lines. Um, uh, one thing I noticed for the first time, um, so in the car scene in the opening, did you mm-hmm. did you ever notice that uh, Johnny Depp has ADR um, whenever he's talking? Yeah, actually. So that's actually something Andrea brought up, too, where there are two, two points, points to that. There's a lot of ADR for Johnny Depp because Andrew is like, those aren't, she's like, his lips aren't even moving, which is a criticism Roger Ebert has, apparently. I'll get to that later on if there's time. Uh, but the other thing is... Um, I was watching this with subtitles for the first time ever because I wanted to get screen caps for the Instagram, which I got. uh, Everyone will be happy to know I got over 50 screen caps (laughs) of this movie. Uh, So I was watching with subtitles and the subtitles. uh, There are subtle differences in what's actually said that there is to the subtitles. And it's really small stuff, but it really threw me off where they would say a line that I know just it's so deeply ingrained in my brain. It's like, I know the line exactly and you hear it and then you read it and it's like one or two words off and you're like, Hey, somebody didn't subtitle that right. Well, there's an artist making those subtitles though. No, You don't want the words to stay it. on too long. So they, they yeah. make these, mm. they make little cuts and then it's like, Oh, was that the right decision though? Cause like, it's really confusing when uh, you're watching it and you're like with subtitles, and you speak English and you're listening to it and you're like, wait, that's not what they said. That That's, that's a completely mm. different meaning. It's so like, it's like bad dialogue now. <laughs> but, mm. Yeah. Yeah subtitles man uh but no yeah so i like i said i think this is news to Jarrett, but uh this is very very much unironically one of my uh all-time favorite movies i i love fear and loathing um i think every scene is good like Jarrett said everything makes leads into something else like there are scenes yeah. that maybe drag a little bit but uh i love every scene uh, i think this movie is hilarious uh johnny depp is amazing i can't believe Benicio del Toro in this thing. He is like fucking unbelievable in every every scene in this movie. He is so good. Like every little, I, I really like him for the small scenes where he's talking about like say he's recapping the elevator scene with Cameron Diaz and he's like, I contact mm. man. She fell in love with me, man. <laughs> it's like stuff like that, and you're just watching him. Mm-hmm. And you're like, holy fuck. Or when they uh, first get to the um, the bar and Johnny Depp's going on about the golf shoes. You got to order the golf shoes. Impossible to walk in this muck. And uh, Benicio del Toro, it cuts to him, and he's like, kind of like gibbering his jaw, like back and forth, like whispering. Mm-hmm. It's so haunting. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I love everything about Benicio del Toro in this. Uh, and it there- wasn't until this last time watching it where I actually appreciated how good Benicio is in this mm-hmm. because watching it growing up, he's just so intimidating and off-putting that I was like, oh, I don't want anything to do with this guy. I I just want Johnny Depp because he's this charming, suave guy. But, I mean, at the beginning of the movie, it it really starts off, um, so it it, uncomfortably zoom-ups to him when he's uh, singing uh, One Toke Over the Line and (laughs) getting really uncomfortable all up in his face. and With um, his bad mustache. (laughs) Yeah. And so he's a very off-putting character, but you know, the more you appreciate film, that you realize that that's the sign of a good performance is how 
you know, how he sells it. And I'll be curious to see um, what we think about the other version of Dr. Gonzo whenever we hit uh, Buffalo Rooms later on. The Peter Boyle. Uh, All I'll say, I'll just wrap up my part here because I could literally rattle off to you guys my favorite lines in this because there are Mm -hmm. so many. The My top three? Golf shoes for sure. (laughs) Uh, I've always loved the golf shoes thing. Um, That one, my absolute favorite is uh, when just just after Benicio del Toro wants him to uh, kill him in the bathtub, and Johnny Depp's got the speakerphone, and he's like, <laughs> "Clean your shorts!" He's like, "Clean your shorts!" God damn it! That's something I'm not even kidding. Me and my brother still say to this day to each other. I was on the phone with him yesterday, and I told him to clean his shorts, and without a beat, he replied, "Clean your shorts!" God damn it! I am fucking Ahab, and it's like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know you are, man. I know you are. Uh, so the clean your shorts, the uh, the golf shoes. <sighs> I don't know. There, there's so many more that I could pick from. Those are my those are my two big ones. That uh, oh, the last one, and I think this is actually very fitting for any Patreon guest we have on the podcast. Is uh, one of my favorite scenes in this movie, and just favorite lines ever. I always drop it casually on people and like i don't know sometimes i think Jarrett would probably pick up on it but uh there's a line where he's talking about when he did lsd and flea from uh the red hot chili peppers comes into the bathroom and then that businessman walks in on them oh and he's like <laughs> with a bit of luck we ruined his life forever and i feel yeah. like that's any patreon guest coming in with a bit of luck <laughs> you will ruin your life forever but those are my top three i love this okay. movie it's so good. Um, this is like everything hits for me. Uh, reading this Ebert review makes me a little bit frustrated, but uh, I, mm. I don't know if you guys want me to detail uh. a little bit of that. He's just, I don't know, Ebert's a real square. He doesn't get it. He He's talking about how the movie is aimless, how it's a one-beat joke, how he's like, I like, Ebert says, quote, I like movies about people being drunk and on drugs, but this isn't one of them. And he talks about how like, the cigarette. He, he never liked, he's never liked Terry Gilliam that much, though. Like not he, Terry Gilliam or Hunter S. Thompson. Apparently, yeah, he really uh, he really bashed the Buffalo Roam as well. This is one thing he says. Uh, movie's original director Alex Cox, Cox, who's brilliant, Sid and Nancy showed insight into the world of addiction maybe too much insight was replaced by P- uh, Terry Gilliam, whose input is hard to gauge. He also talks about, like, the last thing I'll say about the Ebert review, which is really weird. Uh, he talks about the cigarette holder. Uh, was no doubt inspired by the Duke character in the comic strip, who invariably has one. But a prop in a con- comic strip is not the same thing as a prop in a movie. And it becomes not only an affection, but a handicap. Uh... So Ebert had a lot of problems with this, but I think Ebert's just a square. <laughs> um... Anyways, yeah, this movie's awesome. I love it. Yeah, I want to mention, too. so my friend Corey, he really liked this movie to a point where, and he also loved Dr. Gonzo and uh, Benicio's performance because there was like an entire, like, I don't know, five, six years, anytime we drank, even if like completely stone sober, like in his like basement of his parents' house, where he'd just go like, he'd start doing like the, the hand thing, like the, 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 the weird, the uh, Gonzo's hand thing and like, uh, going, like just like, what, what the hell are we doing out here in the desert, man? So that's like one of my favorite lines. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's it's like always in my Get mind. Help. It's like, what are we doing out here in the desert? Like it's like that desperation. Medicine, medicine, medicine. 
Like, yeah. like this man has a heart condition. Yeah, this man has a heart condition. Yeah. <laughs> uh, heart. So yeah, that bathroom scene, I often just show to people that okay. that the bath because like I'm a I have a weird soft spot for like really grotesque murky bathtub scenes. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Like they're gross and it like horrifies me. But like I always like my some of my favorite movies have them like Gummo, and the one where mm-hmm. it's like him throwing the <laughs> throwing the goddamn uh, grape through at his head and just like the screams he makes. Oh. I, I just think it is endlessly hilarious. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, to go along with your uh, question, Justin, about quotes. Uh, yeah, so yeah. W- what the hell are we doing on the, here in the desert? Uh, when the the car hop is like, take the ticket, take the ticket. Like that, like mm-hmm. he's like that, that mannerism of it. And then he's like, oh, how do I remember my face? I'm good. I always I remember your face. And the, the, the weird, and that's the first distortion uh-huh. face thing you get. I'm always like, oh, but yeah, take the ticket. I kind of still say it sometimes. And I completely forgot where I would get that uh-huh. from. I would just mm-hmm. say it. And I was like, oh, it's from this. That's right. And uh, the other one that like, I still probably think about and say way too often when I look at the horrible state of the world is like, this is what the world would look like if uh, Nazi Germany had won the war. I yeah. like Ooh. that. The like Zuko circus. Yeah. The, that world. It's like, yeah, the, the world's a, this goddamn circus. <laughs> it's like, it's like mm-hmm. that line is like, man, that's a uh, hunter. Really? He really nailed it with that, that expression. Cause I think he like in other writings, he's, he threw that around too. So he liked that. He liked that line as well. That was a good go-to for him. Um, but, uh, yeah. uh, what, what do you guys want to talk about now? <laughs> this, this, <laughs> I don't, I don't so Justin, much. do you have um, anything else, uh, about fear and loathing? Like, I think we're all, we're all kind of on the same page. We all really like, well, I mean, yeah. I think we're fans. I'm, I'm the guy. Yeah. We're all fans. Uh, I love yeah. this thing. I think it's everything about it, I think is amazing. And when you read about how it wasn't successful and stuff like that, you're like, I guess it's not totally surprising I, I at think, the time. But I think like, time has mm, done treated this movie yeah. well though. Cause I think yeah. it's like an absolute total cult classic. Yeah. I think people <laughs> watched it. I mean, it's kind of like a, kind of like big Lebowski, like big Lebowski was yeah. also mm. 98 and like, it wasn't like a big deal when it came out, but then like over time, it's just like, Oh, like VHS saved it, which was like one of yeah. the great things. And then DVD. And then suddenly everybody had DVD players and everybody probably had a copy of this, be it the universal mm-hmm. DVD or uh, the criterion. Someone you would have it and everybody would watch it and know yeah. this movie fairly well. Um, uh, the other thing I'll mention, I guess all these things come to my mind. Uh, I made yeah. Chanel watch this with me because I was like, because mm, I was like, this is a really good movie. And I'm like, hey, Chanel, when's the last time you watched Fear and Loathing? She's like, oh, mm-hmm. not forever. Because she had a very different, uh, like, high school year like where she like she hung out with a lot of people who did drugs and so in her mind all the people that she knew who were like really into this movie were into it because it was like a drug movie and so her memory of it is like this is just a shitty drug movie and i was like no it's like pretty good like it's actually a really well-made movie so we sat down and we watched it and uh the opening of like with the footage of like uh 1971 late 60s sort of like the the fall Favorite of like things. the yeah that whole mm-hmm. f- the footage with like the blood being kind of splattered with the nate with the credits uh kind of coming up she was like whoa what is this like i've never seen this and i'm like well yeah it's the beginning of the movie like but like most people like you come in later and then like you remember there's these- just so much in it yeah. a lot of these little moments are a total blur and then you rewatch it and it's like feels all new yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. And just like how those uh, scenes connect with one another and flow into one another. You're like, oh, right. That yeah. that happens here. That happens. Like, mm-hmm. I kind of forgot about Christina Ritchie, like, until I'm like yeah. watching and I went, oh, God, the, the, this skeevy yeah. shit. <laughs> like, and then, like, uh, like uh, Duke's, like, whole line with him in the hallway trying to, like, basically <sighs> get to him. Oh, my God. I never is that... thought you would actually say that. Yeah. And he's like, it's, <laughs> it is dark. Ugly, man. So dark. And I'm like, 
wow, like this is messed up. Like this is like pretty uncomfortable, like a line of thinking. <laughs> like this is terrifying. But he's like, it's just it's a tactic to like get him, mm-hmm. get his buddy who's like on the right type of stuff that's keeping him mellow. And it's like, this is like, well, we should do all these horrible things. He's like, oh, make him feel bad enough to convince him out of the situation. Yeah. And you get that. And then you get like yeah. one of like those like those things, those scenes in 90s cinema, like something like out of Boogie Nights at the donut shop and like the, the house of the fireworks. Mm-hmm. This scene, this movie has that scene at the cafe at two in the morning mm-hmm. with the waitress. That scene is terrifying because it, it has like this tension and realness David to Lynch it. Scene. Oh, but David Lynch would like kind of, I don't know if he ever gets quite like this. Yeah, I, I didn't guess, mean to derail yeah. you. And I actually think there's a buildup to it. Yeah. Um, so whenever... Whenever I watched it a year ago, like I was really enjoying it. And then kind of towards the end, I kind of I got that whole messy Gilliam vibe. Like last time I watched Brazil, it's like he's really good, but he just gets so weird at the end that it kind of puts me off. But in actually re, um, watching all these documentaries on Thompson and understanding all these little um, beats that went into this, um, I could actually see it a little clearer now. And I gave it five stars on letterbox because it, it flowed a lot better mm-hmm. i do admit that the scene that drags for me a little bit is whenever it gets really crazy in the pink flamingo and it gets flooded and it just gets a little too out there but um what i wanted to mention was i think so you had mentioned earlier how well gilliam adapted this i mean i was re-listening to the beginning of the book again and just how he talks to Toby about um, going back and forth in L.A., gathering all this stuff. It's adapted perfectly from book to um, movie. But I think what Gilliam does is he gives it a little bit of structure where the very lowest depravity these guys have is the uh, mistreatment of women. Mm -hmm. And so we see it first time in the elevator whenever he gets all in um, that guy's face next to Cameron Diaz. The -hmm. next time is whenever he pins the... um, the cleaning lady to the floor, yep. and then they talk them into thinking they're cops. You have the whole thing with Lucy, and then the final bit, the final last straw, because the whole thing's about finding the American dream, right? Mm-hmm. And so he's in this face of this poor waitress just doing her job, anti-American dream also, and giving her a super hard time. And that's like, I mean, as crazy as these guys are, you know, doing their thing on the Vegas Strip, getting drunk, gambling, all this debauchery, but really it's shoving his knife like towards this lady who's just trying to do her job. Mm-hmm. That's and, and the not lowest to take shit for doing her job because these guys are being drunk. Yeah. Assholes. She tries to fight back some, but she's yeah. pretty stunned. Um, yeah. And so I think Gilliam does a good job of making that kind of the spine of the movie with, you know, they never, they get to that point and they realize, you know, that's a bit, that's a bridge too far. I think that's a really good point. Cause I remember reading something with Terry Gilliam on that too, where he was saying, or, like one of the big hurdles of getting this thing made initially was like they no one wanted that scene because it like painted the main characters in such a bad light. And he was like, yeah, but they're bad guys. Yeah. He's like, you need this. Well, He's they, like, they're, because they're, it shows that they're bad guys. Yeah, they're pseudonyms, right? Yeah. Like they're not even like, hey, this is what me, uh, Hunter and uh, the lawyer did. Like that's like they, they made mm-hmm. up names for him and like sent these to Rolling Stone because it's like, hey, this is a fun, wacky journey. But he's also being truthful <laughs> and like saying this is all, what this is everything that happened. Yep. But <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that's the big thing, too, where it's like this is he's like, this is what it is, because uh you were saying you were listening to the book and um, Jarrett lent me his copy because I had never actually read the book before, but I read it uh, last week um, mm-hmm. and it, it was a breeze. Like I read it in like two days or something, which yeah. I'm a super slow reader anyways. Uh, but I was just um, 
I was amazed by, uh, like I said, I know all these lines in this movie, like just verbatim off heart. And then reading the book, I was like, I can't believe that it is. It's such a direct adaptation to this where it's like what you were saying, where he's talking to Tobey Maguire and um, his lines. It's like, did I say that? Or did I just think that like the narration, which I think mm-hmm. is it, it like the narration in this movie is so fucking good. Like it's just mm-hmm. so on point with if you didn't have that, this thing wouldn't be I don't think this thing, movie would be watchable. And it's like you need that little guy to take you through the trip, I think. And uh, the th- one thing I was going to piggyback off of Jarrett was he was saying how. There's a stigma to it where it's like this drug movie, right? And I feel like certain people who find it at this certain time would say that where things like Fear and Loathing and Dazed and Confused, right? Mm -hmm. Like these these movies where there's a certain crowd that gets drawn to it for the wrong reasons almost. Where Mm -hmm. uh, like even Hunter S. Thompson where he's like, I there was that quote he has where he's like, I don't want to say that like drugs and alcohol are the answer, but they've always worked for me where he kind Mm -hmm. of acknowledged where he's like, yeah, I like doing this stuff, but I don't like I'm not a huge proponent of this where it's like, yeah, this is what you got to do. And I think it's the same with these movies where Fear and Loathing never had that sense for me. Like I never had that drug druggy like gra- uh, pull towards it, I think, because I watched mm-hmm. it so young. Whereas, yeah, like, so. I think at the wrong time, this movie could leave a bad impression on you. Like, say, Fight Club, where if you watch it at the right <laughs> wrong time with the uh-huh. wrong crowd, and <laughs> a certain crowd like goes towards it, and then you're just like, uh-huh. wait a minute. Uh, but like, that's the thing where I think this movie, like, I watched it when I shouldn't have. But uh-huh. it took away all that pressure from me where it was like, this is a drug movie or something mm-hmm. like that, which I feel like a lot of people would take. And from I think it. it's only real rival in terms of drug movies might be Requiem for a Dream where it really yeah, sure. depicts that state of depravity that, you know, bad drug use gets you, get you. I don't know if like, yeah, that's the thing though. It's like, I don't know if many people watch Requiem and go, drugs are cool, like ever. Like, whereas <laughs> no, th- or this not. movie, it's like, there's people who like, man, it's so cool. <laughs> like, it's like, uh-huh. which is like, to me, I'm like, ugh. But like, Requiem, it's like, that's a movie though that like, I remember when I first watched that, like when it came out on DVD, maybe 2001, 2000, uh, 2001 and i remember being like depressed for days after watching yeah. it and i was like that movie just was like holy shit there's no hope for anything is there if you're in loathing those like it's a fun movie it's got like a great soundtrack yeah. which we haven't even brought oh, up yeah. really yes like, this movie's got like such great use of music it keeps it moving it's not mm-hmm. like it's not scorsese casino levels of like music use or whatever but mm-hmm. it is like uh yeah, it it flows like it it's uh it's like a upbeat movie. The colors, it's a very bright movie. Actually, the one thing I was I've noticed this time too is like this movie seems to have some of like the first early use of color filters and like kind of like color timing. Mm. Like there's like the scene where he's mm. sitting in the um the uh conference for like the cops, law enforcement thing, and it's this blue. It's just this blue, yep. blue, blue, and then mm-hmm. like it's like oh weird. I'm like it looks kind of like crappy the way that traffic does at times where you're like wow mm-hmm. but it's like so it's like 98 so it's like just a couple of years so i was like oh so they were kind of ex- people were experimenting with the color uh stuff a little bit earlier than i thought they were but it wasn't like the digital mm-hmm. stuff i don't think like it was full on um i always took that scene as like it was the reflection of, of the, the projectors yeah 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 well also like, and also like like, like law enforcement blue is kind of the blue and so yeah. he's in this room there's like a blue tinge to everything oh, but, but it's a thematic thing yeah. but it's the same time i was like surprised because like oh yeah that's like full-on like 
uh, tinged. Like there's like there's like that kind of color coding going on in uh, even here mm-hmm. if you're in loathing. So it was an early example, I guess, of that. Not it's not overly done though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In terms of the music, I would say the two biggest moments were like I was really actually getting into the groove is when they're rolling into Las Vegas and they mm-hmm. play the the Tom was it Jones. He's a Lady yeah. And um, oh, Tom Jones as well. That's a good one. I love that song. But yeah, seeing the Vegas lights for the first time with um, He's a Lady. And then to wrap it up with the jumping jet flash at the end, that really gives you a good feel at the end. So um, but yeah, there's a ton, a ton, a ton of great music in it. I'll just drop mine really quickly. Uh, yeah. My favorite is the Yardbirds song after they talk about like a pretty, I think it's the elevator scene where mm-hmm. uh, For Your Love plays where they're running through the hallway <laughs> and, it's, and it's like For Your Love and they're just like running through like doing their <laughs> walk and stuff like that. I don't know why, but mm-hmm. that scene always just stuck out to me. I was like, these guys are, these guys are different guys, Jarrett. Crazy characters. <laughs> crazy, so for, um... wild and crazy dudes. RJ, was there a scene from the book that you um that you kind of wish was in the movie, or that stands um, out to you like more so? Like for me, I'll say, really, yeah, I think the talk, ta- I think the taco stand kind of stands out mm. for me because. Oh, yeah. Are you familiar with the taco taco stand, uh, Jarrett? I'm not. No. So they show. So apparently, they actually got this scene from a tape recording because I think it was so disheveled. Oh, that, that scene they just show the up to the documentary. Right? Yes. Yeah. Where it's like, where there's like, they reenacted in the documentary. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, essentially, that's, and they're that's like, oh, we're, we're looking for the the American dream. Uh, are these real tacos? And I think Gilliam condensed it into just the waitress scene. But mm-hmm. if I could pick one thing from the book that stands out that's not in the movie, it's the the taco scenes. Kind of, um, right. It's kind of kind of amusing. That's uh, the other thing too, where I think. Um, I think it shows how skilled Terry Gilliam is. Where there's that segment of the book where the like it's a new chapter and there's a little preface where it's just like, it's like this is, was taken from the audio recording and most of it was unintelligible and we couldn't take anything from it. So it's like what you have here is just completely unedited dialogue audio that we took from the stuff. And like the scene with the waitress is in there too, because I think it was either just before or just after the taco stand, like because they, they left. But I think he, shows that in such a great way where it's Johnny Depp is like disoriented and he's just like listening to the playback. And he's like where he like the, in the way he builds up that mm-hmm. he's like, these are not like the average drug users things. He's like, who would need so much like coconut skins and cantaloupe rinds. <laughs> and like, he's just like coming back to it, but like even he's confused and it's like, what a, what a great way to like, high uh, like to show that part of the book where the book is like, we don't even really know what happened. And then, in the mm-hmm. movie, it's like, here's a bunch of crazy stuff that, like, it's this is what it sounds like, kind of. So, it's <laughs> good stuff. I want to mention, too, uh, when I was watching this, I was, like, really uh, mindful of the depiction of, like, the destruction of hotel rooms. Because it's oh, like, yeah. oh, maybe they're, this is a, an exaggeration. But it's like, you know, I worked at a hotel at a front desk for seven years. And uh, there was huh. definitely an occasion or two where, like, rooms were, like, completely destroyed there was no flooding there was no like t- like a foot of water uh everywhere and like no one would notice this because that water would just be coming right through the floor but uh there's like i've i've seen some rooms i've seen some things where like people were checked in by somebody and then the mm-hmm. next time you see them they've shaved their head and there's holes in walls and every every single thing that could be destroyed in a room was completely destroyed and you just go 
what happened? What 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 happened to you? Who made who, what made you think this was a good idea? And, hey, uh, Jarrett. Yeah. In the uh, Roger Ebert review, yeah, he has a, a jab at uh, Johnny Depp, where he's like, he's like, this seems more like Johnny Depp's life than Hunter S. Thompson. And it's like, apparently Johnny Depp wrecked a hotel room once. He's like, what was it? Uh, research for the role. <laughs> <laughs> Going Roger back Ebert to had a uh, problem here. <laughs> picking up the hitchhiker. First of all, I like the jab at having a Mickey Mouse T-shirt with its like mm-hmm. kind of a an edgier looking mouse. Um, so that kind of takes a pop shot at like American values right off the beginning. Um, so you guys work around a college. Um, I was in a mm-hmm. fraternity, and whenever I was rushing into a fraternity, um, one of the big like selling things was to have the Benicio and Johnny Depp shirt, and it yeah. said, "Come get in." You know, we're not we're not like the others. So that yeah, was a big yeah. advertisement for uh, fraternities um, when I was going through college that um, still sticks with me. There's a, um, on, mm-hmm. at the, on the campus of the university, there, uh, twice a year, there's a poster sale. And sure enough, yeah. there's always mm-hmm. a, a Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas uh, poster. Like It's, it's a perennial favorite. That and like Scarface. <laughs> hey, Jared, we had that in uh, the dorm room I lived in in the States in Colorado. My roommate had the, one, had the Fear and Loathing where it's them in the car, like the the Criterion cover, yep. the DVD cover. We had that poster okay. up on our wall. Mm-hmm. It's still going strong, baby. Yeah. I, I, though I, th- I uh-huh. do feel like it's diminished somewhat. Like I feel like there's a generation that have skipped over this movie because I just don't see people mm. really watching it anymore. Like It's like just going through. Mm. I was like, oh, yeah, people don't really – like they do, but maybe just not in the circle I run in where it's like it's about finding – new obscure things that no one else has heard of uh and like watching like off the beam pass because like the idea of like going back and revisiting stuff it's like i love that idea but finding time to do it it's a struggle so maybe that's more of a widespread thing more localized to me but it just seems like yeah the the influence of hunter s thompson actually so when we were talking earlier in the preamble when jackson was asking about trans uh about vertigo recommendations one of the comics that was like the most obvious thing in the world is transmetropolitan which was a warren mm-hmm. ellis comic who completely looked at the the life of Hunter S. Thompson and turned that into a like science fiction story. Um, Justin, you can look this mm-hmm. up uh, later, but yeah, it's called Transmetropolitan. It's about a character named mm-hmm. Spider Jerusalem. And it's about a guy who's like, who's gone up to the mountain and he was like retired and he was a writer and he got burnt out by the world. And then he gets called in to do like one big story and he comes back off the mountain. He shaves his head, he wears sunglasses and he speaks the truth about America and the world and the state of things. It's like a complete riff on like the HST thing. It kind of builds up off of that and like kind of his kind of follows the fear and loathing uh in on the campaign trail thing where it becomes a political like thriller almost following the this a political election and him like going to bat and like trying to take down this absolutely horrible corrupt politician named the smiler who's kind of based off a tony blair like figure um mm-hmm. but yeah it's a really good great comic but uh yeah i, I completely uh I planned on mentioning it earlier but yeah uh, i brought it up you, you nerd brought, you nerd yeah, but uh, you were f- too busy doing whatever you do <laughs> over there. Here's a few uh, good uh, quick hits for you. So um, some stuff I noticed this last time. I really enjoy the scene where he's driving back and forth across L.A. And you do see the hippies in L.A., yeah, especially yeah. the monk that's jumping up oh, and the down. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate the um, the ether um, breakdown because he, he explains how this is the perfect drug for Vegas because – you know, you're conscious, but you're acting like a drunken fool, which is, you know, exactly what Vegas wants you. And mm-hmm. it's pretty crazy whenever they go to what Circus Circus and they're like stumbling all over that um, carousel bar or whatnot. Yeah, <laughs> through. Um, a little bit of a Criterion collection. Um, 
connection. So we know Gilliam's a big fan of the uh, the Fellini. Oh yes. So what the trapeze acts is the the flying, flying Fellinis. Fellinis. And uh, what did you think of that poor uh, Wolverine uh, there, RJ? Uh, I wasn't a fan, uh, <laughs> uh, but that I know is not real. Uh, I have more issue with uh, the poor orangutan that oh, is okay. a uh, circus act, which uh-huh. um, I mean, I hope it's not like in uh, what's that Clint Eastwood movie, Jared? Uh, any which way but loose, and every any which way, way you but can. Loose. <laughs> where it's like I, I really want to I own those movies and I really want to watch them because I love orangutans. But apparently, like the guy who the trainer was just brutal, brutal to the point where he killed like full on orangutans. And it was like, but they still hired him in Hollywood <laughs> because people don't give a shit about no animals. Right, Jarrett? No. I don't think the same was with Dunstan checks in. I think that that, <laughs> that movie that the, movie's on the clear. I think it's and there's I actually think it a yeah. and there's actually a character I um, surprisingly relate to. Um, it's the Lasorda guy, where he's like, "We need full coverage." <laughs> and I know when I'm working and I've done the whole journalism thing before, and I'm a writer. That's like me to the T, where I want to do a job as as much as possible, as thorough as possible. I'm very OCD about that. And then he looks back at uh, Johnny Depp. He's like, yeah, whatever. I'm out of here. And that <laughs> reminds me of so many of my supervisors. Like, yeah, whatever. Do it, do your thing, Justin. We know you do a good job. Peace. <laughs> so. It's about total coverage, man. Total coverage. Yeah, man. Total coverage. Um, actually, so let's throw to uh, the Gonzo documentary that uh, Justin okay. and I watched. Uh, do you have any mm-hmm. uh, thoughts on it? I mean, I, I thought it was good. Uh, it's Alex Gibney directed. And he... Uh, there's a couple of things in here that I found were like that kind of aged it, like the, that very mid 2000s things where there's like kind of like weird green screens and like reenactment little things. But on the whole, though, I think this is a uh, a pretty good uh, stab at like trying to document the the period of time of like what Hunter S. Thompson meant as a writer for like that like era of like the from the 60s to the mid 70s when he was like, you know, everybody knew him. Everyone who he wrote for Rolling Stone, he put Rolling Stone probably on the map, I'd argue for me. Uh, it's like kind of being this iconic writer. Like I remember reading his write up on like nine uh, eleven, like after it happened, because I remember being that like mm-hmm. being like being widely shared. Because like and like everything he wrote was like, yep, that completely happened. Like he knew, and it's kind of, uh, I don't know how much longer he would have lasted because if two thousand five was a bad year for him, that like finally said, man, I can't take this anymore. I would like I don't even know how he would look at 2019 like I just like it's like it's a whole nother level uh and so it's like yep mm-hmm. I think things have just uh it's like it, the more things gone. change the more they stay the same yeah or sometimes get worse <laughs> I don't know which uh, is a funny story because yeah. I was actually looking for the fear and loathing book in Barnes and Noble to yeah. just to kind of flip through and look at the illustrations and it wasn't in fiction it's over in current events which I thought was bizarre <laughs> huh uh-huh. So I might have to send a pic. I took a picture of uh, Fear and Loathing um, on the current events uh, rack. Um, maybe we can put that on the Instagram. Yeah, you can send it. Put way. it. Put it on the the Facebook. We. Uh, I feel okay, bad. We, we we usually neglect the Facebook. We don't go on there very often. It's. Uh, I go on the Instagram and just post um, my ramblings. Uh, and okay. that's about. We're really bad podcasters because we don't do <laughs> the. Uh, we don't do that part of it. Social very. media. We don't do that great, but uh, I do go on ramblings where people think I'm on whippets and drugs, <laughs> not like unlike Hunter S. Thompson in my Instagram <laughs> posts. So if anyone's not following, you should. Did you, 
Yeah. Did you ever notice? So there's the scene where he's in the elevator and he's holding his typewriter when he's getting out of the pink flamingo. And he kind of like turns in the corner and Mm -hmm. it's because he has um, off the pig written on the typewriter and he's trying to hide it. I never noticed that before. (laughs) I thought that was pretty funny. Um, In terms of this documentary. Yeah. um, So I don't watch it. I'm not a big documentary connoisseur like yourself, uh, Jarrett. So I'm. You know, I'm kind of just come. I just kind of take it as it is. I don't really re- recognize the style. A lot of times when I rate documentaries on the letterbox, um, I'll just put a heart because I like it, and then I'll do some things I noticed. Sure. Um, I didn't know a lot about Thompson's background, so it was really neat hearing all about his like being embedded with the Hell's Angels and yeah. being kind of a standoffish at that point. Um, one of the more interesting things is he is his um, how he was involved in that election in Aspen where he was trying to become sheriff. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating. Um, I never realized like it's pretty obvious from the movie now watching it. We know he has that scene where he's like shooting gu- um, his gun off in the desert and it was because he was a gun nut mm-hmm. and they went into a little bit of detail about that in the documentary. And um, yeah, it was, um, I think what I appreciated most about the Gonzo documentary is the, um, all the coverage on, um, cause I, after reading um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, I read a little bit of um, Campaign Trail 72 and it just kind of lost interest after a while. So I was really glad that the documentary went a lot into like what his interest in um, McGovern and hatred of Nixon. And it went into that in really good detail, which I thought was interesting yeah. to hear more of his thoughts on that. So it was a good documentary. Yeah. No, and, it's then, good um, info. and then based on that documentary, I watched the other one, um, Breakfast with Hunter. And that's kind of a dra- that's kind of a slow thing. It's all about like the lead up to um, Gilliam making the movie. But the most interesting thing from that documentary is they show in full detail this conversation Alex Cox and his writer had with um, Thompson about doing the wave scene as a cartoon. Well, that's how Thompson described it of him on this pile of bones. And Thompson just goes in this complete childish rant about how that's like the worst idea ever. And it's just this total lack of communication with these collaborative minds. And so that was with a big nail in the coffin for old Alex Cox not doing the movie. Yeah. For yeah. the best. Yeah, probably for the best. I don't know. Like, I, I've seen – like Alex Cox is like – I don't know how I feel about him as a director. Sid and Nancy. Sid and Nancy. Uh, Walk, watch Walk, that Walk, Walker's pretty interesting. Um, and then there's Repo Man, which is like probably his most uh, uh, celebrated movie and Criterion. Uh, Future approved. Creep. Yeah, Future Creep. No. But yeah, it's like, I think it wound up working out for the best with uh, Terry Gilliam. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, but so finally, uh, RJ, I know you also watched Rum Diary. We're a big fan. <sighs> Yeah, so I I watched it, and I'm pretty sure a friend of the show here, Justin Peterson, watched it as well. Um, Rum Diary. I don't think it's a bad movie in any in any stretch. It's just I was so like I said, I'm so familiar with the fear and loathing Hunter S. Thompson. Seeing him depicted in other ways, I was kind of like, mm. and not even that he like not not even that he's so much more a. Uh, subdued in this i thought this movie was just kind of boring so it it's like he's in costa rica or is it puerto rico i always mix those up jerry oh man i always mix them up i know but okay so it's in one of those places where he went to be a journalist for a while and it, it seems like it's the start of his weird and wacky adventures like he hits the booze pretty hard but this shows where it's like hey want to try acid and he's like what's acid so it's like it's like because and like he wrote it too right so I'm, I'm guessing it was 
his experience of actually getting into it. Yeah. But there were certain things where like Giovanni Ribisi plays basically fear and loathing Hunter S. Thompson. And in, in that sense, I was like, again, I was like, I'm sure that was probably the real guy. And this is how it actually all played out. But uh, I wasn't super interested in that. And even more than that, like the plot of this movie is that it's like he goes to this journalist or to this like paper and they're no one there really takes it serious because they're all drunks and it's like, all right. But then Aaron Eckhart, uh, Harvey Dent from the, the dark Knight comes out and he's like, we're going to, we bought this Island and, uh, we need you to write a, like a think or like a piece promoting it. And he's like, all right. Uh, and that's like the whole, like through line of this movie where it's these like super rich guys that are buying this Island. And I guess it like, contributed to hunter s thompson's opinions of america and corporations and things like that um but i just found it all really boring and uh there's like they they like try to throw in things to spice it up it's like they were chased by the the native peoples and they blew like straight ethanol on them like in a fire and you're like all right uh but then there's also cockfighting in this movie like for real cockfighting jarrett like I mean, this I Justin can answer this. Maybe I don't think it's me classically exaggerating things. I think this movie has for real cockfighting in it. And I was like, oh, that's weird. This movie is only like I looked. I was like eight years old. I was like, that shouldn't happen anymore. But uh, I don't know. I just thought on the whole, this movie was like, that's kind of like, uh, I don't know, whatever. Uh, what about you, Justin? You watch this too, right? No, I didn't get to it. This was uh, oh, the no? one I didn't get to. Oh, RJ, I was like, I, saying, like, I was like, I'm what like, are you Justin, talking about? You didn't Justin watch this. this up. I um, wanted to. Uh, it was the last one on my list, but I got caught up writing about Midsummer, so I didn't get to, to watch it. Okay, well, I'm speaking for everyone then. I think this movie is like, it, it's it's okay, but uh, it is uh, it's definitely boring. And then there's like this side story in where he falls in love with uh, the Aaron Eckhart's girlfriend who's amber heard who johnny depp married in real life and then like just famously got divorced from a year ago because of a alleged things i don't want to say anything too incriminating about myself or my opinions Uh, i don't know what happened but apparently he beat her up a bunch is how the story goes um but like so he falls in love with her and then there's this really weird scene in this movie which it sounds it seems like it's so crazy. It's like, I guess that's probably what happened. She goes to like this club uh, and then she's like dancing erotically to piss off Aaron Eckhart. And then the, uh, he goes to like break it off. And the locals are like, no way, man. So they kick Aaron Eckhart out and then they kick all of the Americans out. And then she surfaces two days later and is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Was she just raped for like two days? And that's there's there's no other explanation. That's like what happened, I guess. And it seemed like this crazy dark thing. I was like, holy shit. I was like, I don't think he just made that up. It had to have happened. But this is a crazy thing to have in this movie where Johnny Johnny Depp is riding this like car on top of another man out the window, like this super playful thing on top of this super dark thing. Anyway, rum diary. It's. I don't. I don't know. Did, did I'll you check notice, it out did, and I'll did, put in my. Uh, did thoughts, you notice uh, who directed this, RJ? Next week. Directed Rum Diary. Yeah. Do you notice that? No. Who Bru- directed? By it? Bruce Robinson, director of With Nail and I, and How to Get Ahead in <sighs> Advertising. I I had no. I didn't even look into it that oh, much. You RJ. you would never be able to tell. Yeah, and and Jennifer ate. <laughs> Yay. <sighs> 
Well, yeah, skippable. Cool. Uh, and one more movie for us to talk about that we uh, all watched, where the Buffalo Roam, starring Bill mm. Murray as Hunter S. Thompson. Um, I have one word here to describe this movie. Awful. I did not like this movie at all. Like, my God. It was like, it starts off and it's just so badly shot. It looks like a TV movie. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe it's just like, I'm so accustomed to like the Terry Gilliam, like cinematography and like just how great that movie looks. And then you're like coming down to watch Where the Buffalo Roam, which is a movie that like, People seem to be okay on. Even like when I was start watching this, I think Chanel was like, "Oh, I like it better than Fear and Loathing." This is before she rewatched Fear and mm-hmm. Loathing, and then like I'm watching it, and I'm just like, I don't care about anything that's happening in this thing. And then she came down, she was like watching it with me. She was like looking at me, and I'm like, "Yeah, there's like the courtroom scene that just goes on. Mm-hmm. That's not funny. None of this is funny." Applause. Uh, Peter Boyle, like, it's just like not Benicio del Toro at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I. This movie's terrible. Like, I don't get it. I don't know. Like, uh. So I, I have some things to say about this, too, where I think a lot of this is what I mentioned in the preamble was Bill Murray, where I don't know if, like, he was just totally misdirected on this thing or what. But I was like, I was watching. I was like, did you even try in this thing, man? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like he's really off. And not typical, but uh, I also heard that like when Johnny Depp signed on for Fear and Moathing, Bill Murray was like, you better not do that, man. You'll get typecast as that character. And it's like, did he get typecast as that character? Because I don't know. My my takeaway from Where the Buffalo Roam is that it was like, I feel like they wanted to make Animal House again, where it's like a college sex comedy thing where it's like, look how crazy this guy is. He can seduce anyone he seduces the nurse he'll seduce the hotel staff he'll seduce everyone and like not into like like banging jared style but like he'll just be like come on in have a beer and then the next thing it's like they're smashing up all the hotel room and stuff like that so i was like i it seems i feel like they were going for that like 70s sex comedy vibe almost is what this movie was. And it's like, I guess that was his life, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly online with Jared where I was watching this and I was kind of like, Whew. It kind of reminded me of like the worst of like Lloyd Kaufman sex comedies, like where I was like, yeah, I was just yeah, like yeah. I'm so checked out of this, and like I was like expecting a lot more, just like even on a base level. I thought <laughs> I'd be like okay on it, and I was just like kind of amazed by like how much I did not care for anything going on. Like I don't, I don't know what it was. I just like like even like Bill Murray was like I didn't even think he was bad in this or anything like that. Like he was kind of doing the mannerisms and doing the voice and the delivery. You could see like where he looked at Hunter S. Thompson and kind of figured things out how he was going to do it. But like, boy, I was just like the, I think the director, like the way this movie was shot and the way it's told, like it's so like just silence. There's no music over scenes where people are just talking and talking. And I was just like, this feels like a TV movie more than like a Mm -hmm. feature film. But I I think Justin, you, you had more of a favorable opinion of it. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. This, this was the first um, show I had watched to start the week off. And I'm kind of glad that I started with this since mm. I did rewatch Fear and Loathing later and was just that went way up. Um, so the film really meanders kind of through Thompson's a few 
moments in Thompson's life. Um, I didn't mind Bill Murray. Like when I was first watching it, like he felt like kind of a goofy version of Thompson. Mm-hmm. But then I started watching all these documentaries and Thompson's kind of an angry guy. Mm-hmm. So the more <laughs> angry, but maybe during those earlier years, maybe he was a little bit goofier. Um, so I thought it was kind of a different complimentary take. I mean, Depp's performance is obviously like the iconic go-to. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And like I had told you, like, um, whenever I was watching Fear and Loathing so many times, like Benicio was always kind of like really intimidating and I was never getting into that character. So having this other guy play him and be more like a friend to Thompson and it was kind of a buddy movie, I kind of thought that was a little enduring. Um, it does kind of go from here to here. And I mean, it shows Thompson's love for football, which is cute. Mm-hmm, and sure. then um, the thing, the the scene where he confronts Nixon in the, in the bathroom yep. and he's like, oh, what about the the poor, the poor? And he's like, fuck. Uh, I, I, <laughs> What is the the quote? Uh, no, what about the, the doomed? Jared style. Um, and the poor, uh, the young, the silly, the honest, the weak. And Nixon says, "Fuck the doomed." So um, that was probably the moment for me. And then, I mean, thematically, I thought it was kind of fun. Um, so, like, where the Buffalo Roams, kind of a comment on how you know these renegade guys like Thompson just aren't around anymore. Just kind of like like the buffalo kind of faded out of existence. So I thought that was kind of a cute uh, thematic theme. Yeah, with the, but um, uh, the I Neil mean, Young music. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, I thought it was okay. Um, kind of a complimentary uh, to the masterpiece. Uh, definitely not the masterpiece, but yeah. Stedman's art definitely um, enhances it a bit, right? Yeah. yeah. Like like it like yeah. it as it should as it will. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I was just like amazed by how much like I just didn't like wasn't into anything like i don't know maybe i was just like not, it didn't hit me at the right moment but i was just like i don't know like did you guys find that it's like the the way it was shot was just very like there was like almost too much ceiling like everything just seemed like it was like sets yeah. and like like not like a place it didn't feel like you were any location like because there's like the super bowl stuff going on mm-hmm. uh there's like the the planes all felt like you were on the set of a plane and uh hijinks ensue mm-hmm. and it's kind of <laughs> like oh but it feels like yeah like a like feels like an 80s comedy uh I guess in the way that I'm paying it, not a compliment because a lot of 80s comedy is just like, I don't know, mm-hmm. like like all, like a lot of comedy, it's uh, subjective. And uh, What's <laughs> your favorite 80s comedy, Jarrett? Oh, UHF. <laughs> okay, good pull, man. Yeah. Good pull. Do you think that the part where they actually pick up the hitchhiker is supposed to be taken from Fear and Loathing? It's so different so. to where yeah. maybe not. Yeah. yeah 100%. Yeah, it's there's similar like, but different at the same yeah. time. I think but it's just like a total int- different interpretation of it. And it's yeah, very like, low key, very low key. And it just doesn't have like, again, like that, the frenetic energy of a Gilliam. It feels very like stayed and, it's and, they're like, ru- and they're like going through the mountains instead of the desert. It just doesn't feel like the same at all. Right. But, um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's worth checking out if you're a fear and loathing fan, just to see where, you know, what ground they treaded first. Absolutely. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, mm-hmm. all right, folks. Let's get to the the grist here. Who hates fear and loathing? I got I got bad people. About this segment. <laughs> oh, bad oh people. my goodness! All right, here. Oh no! Uh, half a star from Caden Scott. My God, what does mm-hmm. what does he have to say? I legitimately <laughs> feel sick after having watched this. Everything about it is jarring and a chore to watch for me. There are no likable characters, and every word out of their mouths is such conceited, druggy nonsense. The acting wasn't good either. It was just Johnny Depp acting as weird as he can, as per usual, and Belnicio del Toro wasn't much better. This movie felt like it was just trying to be a cult classic and pulling every stereotypically weird, critics won't understand stunt they can. The movie just felt like a cheap attempt to grasp the attention of druggies and the cult film crowd. 
and to me, it barely felt like a film at all. With an asterisk, as usual, my opinion isn't a rag on those who enjoy the film. I really wish I enjoyed everything I ever watched, but obviously, things don't turn out that way. So if you like the movie, kudos to you. I mean, kudos to Kate and Scott for having such peculiar tastes, Jared. Uh, a lot of their low ratings are Nicholas Wine and Refn movies, which is fine. <laughs> I mean, he's a guy to be poor on. But uh, two-star ratings go to films such as Taxi Driver and A Clockwork Orange, mm. which I feel like are bizarre. But five stars to Shape of Water and uh, five stars to Schindler's List, which has been popping up a lot on this uh, little podcast we have lately. I feel like the weird thing too is like it doesn't really acknowledge that this has got a source material, like a really yeah, well known yeah. popular book. So it's not like it's just making things up as it goes. It's like, no, that is Mm-mm. like this is the book. <laughs> like it is a faithful adaptation. Yeah. Um half a star here, Josh Dunn. There's a mm. way to do weird and this is not it. Weird for the sake of weird is the best way I can describe this film. It just didn't do it for me. Uh, Josh isn't really doing it for me, to be <laughs> honest. Uh, this is a, a fairly new account. Um, it seems like they gave Clockwork Orange five stars. Yeah. Uh, they gave Class of Newcomb High one and a half stars, which we talked about in the trauma episode. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, a punch drunk love two stars. Get fucking bent, man. <laughs> what is that? That is that's one of the worst takes I've ever seen. No, thank you. No thanks. And finally, half a star by Anthony AGB twelve oh nine movie reviews. I'm sorry, okay. I couldn't finish this. I got an hour and twenty minutes in, and I couldn't take it anymore. This movie made me sick to my stomach. I know the characters are supposed to be unlikable, but they were unbearable to watch. I usually love Johnny Depp and Benicio del Toro, but I couldn't stand them here. Not only that, but the lack of the story and scatterbrained execution was painful to watch unfold. I know there are fans of this film, but I genuinely could not take any more of it. This was not uh, only mean spirited, but a disaster. Jared, Anthony, AJB, 1209 underscore movie reviews, likes movies that I feel aren't great. Uh, They have over 200 five-star ratings. Here's some of the the half-star ratings they've given to go on with Fear and Loathing. Star Wars Episode 1, Moomon Rouge, Diary of a Mad Black Woman, Meet the Browns, Beverly Hills Chihuahua, Space Chimps, your favorite movie, Chicago, uh, Shark Boy and Lava Girl. I, like these movies, it's like, where does fear and loathing fit in with any of these fucking things? I don't get it. I really don't get it. And like, it's not even worth reading the five stars because it's, I feel like they give every movie five star, it looks like. Except for Fear and Loathing. Except Fear and Loathing. Everyone, actually, one thing I just noticed, all of these bad people gave uh, Toy Story 4 five stars. So I haven't seen Toy Story 4. I am a fan of the Toy Story series, but uh, I don't know what these people are on about. It seems... This is the new hotness, RJ. Seems weird. Seems a lot of these weird. people just get hung up on the surface level stuff. I mean, once yeah. you really start to, it's a it's a fairly impenetrable film at first until yeah. you've seen it a few times, and then you kind of get into all the stuff we talked yeah. about. So. I, yeah, I could see it like 
elements of it being polarizing. I could see that. Like, it's not necessarily for everybody. It's a it's Terry Gilliam handles stuff in sometimes out there ways. But I mean, his like I don't know. I think his filmmaking is so good, and like the way he represents things, like he does it better than so many people. Like I couldn't even. I don't even know like who is like a contemporary Terry Gilliam at this point that does stuff. Uh, the way he would, but I mean, I don't think there would be Jared Duncan, I think the uh, <laughs> director of tapes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Any last thoughts on this movie? Not for me. I think we talked it. I think pretty good. well in submission. I think, mm-hmm. I think, I think we're going to have the longest regular episode of the podcast tonight. Yes. Yeah. After the break, did we find the American dream? No, but we <laughs> talked about a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we were the mirror. And RJ ate a pie. <laughs> I did eat a pie. That was off pod. And, and but RJ I did ate it. a delicious lemon meringue pie. And he didn't even have to threaten a waitress with a knife to get it. You don't know that. Oh, that's true. You you said something about somebody outside looking through your garbage. Maybe well, you... I, I never. Uh, okay, so there was like rumbling <laughs> out there. And like my window is right here, right next to my garbage cans. And I was just like, what is going on out there? I couldn't find him, though. I couldn't find them, Jared. But did they leave you a slice of pie? I mean, I don't really want to say where I got the pie now. Was that a garbage pie? Aren't we all a little bit garbage pie? are you going to take in honor of fear and loathing in las vegas uh suffrage woman's suffrage where, where do you buy that <laughs> anywhere you do your normal oh, shopping what, what, buddy what a strange thing to spring into your mind just now <laughs> what's well, the drug of choice it's what's empowering so many people man it makes you feel alive you can email us at criterioncreeps at gmail.com and tell us about women's suffrage. Women's suffrage. We've got a Facebook yep. page. We're on Instagram. We're on the Letterboxd. I'm Jared Duncan. He's Barnloaf. And Justin, you're just Justin Peterson, right? Yep, on the Letterboxd. Um, you, know, you can also hear me do some talking on the uh, Average Joe's uh, Movie Club cast on the YouTube. Uh, me and my buddy get on there and we pick a couple movies every now and then and talk about them. So, Trying to aspire to the great Jared Duncan, <laughs> RJ Bailoff. Check it out. You got there's so many better people you could try to try to be like. Not us. <laughs> Not us. No, nah, they're it, chuds. Oh, they're all <laughs> chuds, clearly. But still, are you uh, just on YouTube or is there something else too you guys can get access your uh, pod on? Um, the YouTube. That's probably the best place that has most of our episodes. We're just getting started on SoundCloud and uh, trying to tweet. Um, I'm also on to Twitter at uh, at MovieJustin198. I'll try to tweet a few more of my reviews. I'm 
pretty active uh, writer. Yes. So I try yeah, to you, you get all have my like, thoughts out. You have like 3,000 plus followers and people you follow. Mm-hmm. That's like pretty crazy. <laughs> Yeah, it takes some persistence. What, what, what but... does your activity look like? Because you must have just extremes of people watching movies all the time. Because like mm-hmm. RJ complains about like he can't keep up. I can't keep <laughs> up with my follower, my follower, or the people I follow, and I only follow like ninety, maybe. Mm-hmm. I can't I keep mostly, up with them. Um, are able to tune in. Like whenever I watch a movie, like I'll go and see what all oh, my followers kind of checked out and kind of interact them on that level. Yep. Yeah, the feed, it's it just, I mean, it's constantly changing with me. Oh, I imagine. Yeah, I can't, ima- I can't imagine. Um, and then also, folks, we're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes. You know the drill. Tumblr. Next week, it's just RJ and I, Spine176. We're watching The Killers and The Killers and The Killers. I hope you enjoy Ernest Hemingway, folks. I don't. Um, well, actually, no, I do. I think he's okay. What sun also rises? Sun also rises. The bell tolls, man. For whom the bell tolls? RJ, books, killers, men. I don't know. Tarkovsky, Siegel, Semek. They're all coming at you, folks. Join us next week. Hopefully, you've survived this episode. Don't have any bad trips. Have a good Mm -hmm. long weekend, Americans and rock on Canadians and the rest of the world. I'm sure you have very good national holidays too. Enjoy. Mm -hmm. Bye, Justin. Bye. Bye. We did it. We did it.